Holman, is it safe to say that you and I will probably never be as cool as Bud Brutzman? I mean, I don't think so. He doesn't have the uh, world's number one truck podcast. Uh, that's true. But you know what he does have? He has rides. He has overhauling. He has dust of glory. He has hot rod TV. He has chasing Baja. He has garage okay. Mahal. All right, all right. He has I get battle it. of the builders. I get it. All right. Okay, I, I got it. He's got a lot more uh, in his portfolio than we have. <laughs> Do we even have a portfolio? Well, we have this show. Uh, yeah, that's it. And he wanted to be on it. Our, so, our, uh, we don't have a portfolio. We have a leaflet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we are excited to have him on to kind of talk about the uh, the backside of TV. Yes. And movies. Bud Brutzman is an executive producer of all the automotive shows that you know and love. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk to Bud. And uh, before we do, we have to get into our presenting sponsor, Nissan, and thank them. If you are in the market for a half-ton, half-ton plus mid-sized truck or, <laughs> or an NV commercial van. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. They got it all. Yes, they do. NissanUSA.com and on mm-hmm. the Nissan Titan and Titan XD. Not only do you get that big old 5.6 liter endurance V8 and a 9-speed automatic uh-huh. and a whole host of features for a really good price, yeah. but you get the industry's best 5-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Oh, I knew what you were going to say. I dinged you too early. Ding me again because okay. it's so good it deserves another. <laughs> and then word on the street is that you and I are going to finally break some news when it comes to deck. Nope. Not this episode. Oh, we're not? Moving right along. Oh, Hasn't man. happened yet. We're too Are early. Oh, I got Embargo. Soon. Damn. Soon. All right. And I heard that we're going to do it in a really freaking awesome way. You mean you I mean, wait, gonna... I mean, we're not going to do it because no. we can't talk about it yet. No. If we were going to do something, maybe we'd go somewhere and participate in something that would be rad and you guys would enjoy watching it. Especially if it involved destruction and a rental car. But we can't if we talk were about, going to talk we, about but it. But we haven't done that yet. So instead of that, we're going to talk about Dex's new D-bag. Did you get yours yet? You need to watch your language. This is a family show. It's the decked bag. It fits oh, in your drawers. You mean the deck system for your back? Yeah, exactly. For those of you who don't have a, uh, a pickup truck and you don't have a use for a deck drawer system, Decked has come to the rescue with a really awesome backpack. Now, how dare you? I want all of it. I want the deck system. Uh-huh. I want the D-boxes. Uh-huh. And I need something that I can carry around on my okay, back. Okay, all right. Well, let's just let me put it in this way. Let's say that you own a, um, a small car. And deck drawers don't work for you. Uh-huh. But you need something uh, durable and well-built in order to uh, keep your junk organized. So wait a minute. If you were like a mini owner. Yeah. And you had no, you, you wanted a deck system, but you just you had no place to put it. Right. But you wanted some of that brand, and you just loved what they stood for. And you wanted something extremely durable. Or, to or put you like just your... need a really good bag. Yeah. Yeah. You'd buy the D-bag? Yeah, deck.com. At Decked USA. Go check them out. Do you think we oversold it? Uh, I don't think so. I think we uh, sold it just enough. Okay, perfect. Why don't we start the show? The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck. Because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted. We have the lowered and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel. The Truck Show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. So what you're saying, Holman, is that you are going to dial Bud Brutzman, executive producer extraordinaire, Mr. TV. The man who is in charge of 
thinking about and producing everything you know and love. How does he have the time to talk to us? I have no idea. Maybe he's uh, on a coffee break. Did someone say like, oh, you need to do this podcast and tell him like write Joe Rogan on his schedule? Oh, that's right. His, uh, his assistant who called me to uh, book the show said, is this the Joe Rogan podcast? And I said, yes, <laughs> yes it is. <laughs> oh, he's going to be so bummed. Go ahead and dial. Hello? Hello, is this Mr. Bud Brutzman? It's Lightning and Holman, Truck Show Podcast. What's happening? Hey, guys, what's happening? Before we can get into it, we have a quick intro, so don't move, bud. Yo, the Truck Show! <laughs> who dis, who dis, who the hell is this? A Truck Show interview you don't want to miss. We talk to top dogs <laughs> in the industry. How'd you blow up? How'd you come to be? Who dis, who dis, Truck Show represent... So I guess uh, first we should apologize for that <laughs> intro, but everybody gets one. That's just how it works here, bud. What the hell was that? Were you guys like rapping and yelling? What were you guys doing? You got the air horns in there. That's the, that's the best part. Yeah, like a rave. Like you're 14 years old, and so, I don't think well, you guys are 14. Let's be honest. We, uh, we were 12-year-old boys once, and we never grew up after that. All right. Well, they didn't have air horns. Well, I guess they did. They tried. <laughs> you know what it was? I used to work at uh, K Rock, the radio station here in LA, for twenty some odd years. And one of the production guys, Omar, uh, before I left the station, I said, "Can you make a bunch of jingles for us for this podcast?" And that That's was one of them. And, and we fell in love with it. So you were saddled with that intro. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. So no uh, we should explain that Bud is uh, somebody who you should know, but probably don't know. If you look at his body of work, you definitely 100% have seen what he's done. And, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Lightning, do you want to go down the list of accomplishments? Because I'm feeling like, at this point in my life, total failure. Well, hold on. We First, but we have professional uh, endeavors, and then we have his heroic endeavors. Right, heroic. And then we yes. have, I mean, I don't even yeah. freaking know. Like, the well, guy no, is- but then we have the way that he goes outside of his house in the morning to get the newspaper is kind of like... Just our normalcy. He's elevated that. Then he's better than us, and then he's really better than us. There's like different tiers. No idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Honestly, usually I'm really incognito. It's just kind of lately, and I've done a lot of stuff and some podcasts, and, and you know, I don't know. It's just a, it's a you'll see. I talk a lot, and there's a lot of fun shit I've been doing for the past twenty years, and so yeah, I figured why not. Good good luck getting a word in edgewise, bud. So, yeah, yeah, no problem. So most of you will know him from Overhauling. I think that's, as far as a from a car guy's perspective, yep. that would be the most notable. But you've done so many. But the the goes, off-road crowd will know him from Dust to Glory. Yeah. That was probably one of my favorite off-road movies ever. Yeah, we had a lot of fun doing that one, actually, by, by the way. But I'm sure we're going to dive into all that. Yeah, yeah, we are. And so, but let's rewind the clock a little bit and go back to way back like 1990. When you were just getting your start, were you like many in Hollywood just trying to find a project or did you know, like working in LA, there's a sea of people that either, kind of two groups as I see it, they're either determined to make feature length films or the other group just doesn't care, they just want to get a job. Where did you fit in that pantheon? Well, what's weird is, yeah, early in the early 90s, I, I came to L.A. and I decided that I wanted to be in the film business, um, television or film business. It, it, actually, just like everybody else, I decided to be in the film business. This is where you guys don't talk for a half an hour because I could go on forever. But <laughs> decided, I decided to be in the film business, and I'll make it super short. Um, I was 20, maybe, 21, and I made a deal with a guy that I, we worked in the film business on Sunset Boulevard. 
across the street from the Viper Room that I was going to work there for free. And this is the, this is the important thing for anybody who's younger than us, which is just about everybody, is my first job in Hollywood is so important. It's just like everybody else's job in, like, when they work in the shop. Like, I'll, I'm going to do this for free. I'll work for free. I just want my office. If I have an office across from the Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard, at that point, low bar, I've made it. Right? I have an office. I, yeah. can go to, I can go to the Viper Room, get drunk, pass out my office, wake up the next day and go to work. So literally my first job was working for a film distributor uh, in the industry just so I could learn the business. Okay, but wait a minute. Was that, Bud, was that an adult film distribution company? Because sometimes <laughs> that's the first gig. No, I didn't. I didn't run into your family until later on. <laughs> there we go. There you go. So, so Bud, is this this is a pre River Phoenix death outside the uh, uh, the, the, the Viper infamous room. Viper Room? And I think it's right around the same time. I mean, okay. it was the Viper Room was pretty badass at that time, and I had Roger Corman's old office. Roger Corman's an old film guy, film guy from the seventies and eighties. And I, just, I, you know, I worked for this small little film distributor, and I started going to the film markets, understanding the, the distribution side of it. And that lone little thing, and here's the most important lesson, and it's why I like to talk to people about it, because um, people normally would hate me, but then maybe you inspire people. But I took that job for free, and then at one of those silly little film markets, I ended up meeting a person that led me to my first job in the industry. Like first paying gig, like, okay, I'm going to executive produce this thing. And I met like a home video guy and he needed a whole bunch of stuff produced. And he thought because I had, I worked in the film business that I was a hot producer and we hit it off and I started working. It was crazy, but that's how it works. And so at that point, had you executive produced anything or were you just, what were you doing at that point? It's really weird. So I have never, ever done anything in the industry except for executive produce i have and I'll, I'll explain what that is um no i've never done i've never executive produced anything at that point and my first project i executive produced and not because i got credited up and that happens a lot too in this industry um and really in the executive producer side you find the deal you find the market you find the money you get the talent you put the team together so my true first thing out of the box and for many years i've just never I don't own one credit other than executive producer. Just what I this did, just happens to be what I'm put on this planet for. But did you want to direct or uh, shoot, be behind the camera? Or was that not an interest, or you didn't even have time to want to do that? You, you sort of fell uh, into, into the into EP it, role. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, I'm not as talented as directors. Directors are super talented. I don't really, really direct anything. And um, unfortunately, a lot of my friends tease me and they go, "Yeah, that that guy's the executive producer." <laughs> It, uh, that's like a snide, arrogant, underhanded. That guy, that knows business and gets done. So I guess that's my my role. I think that's an important role to have in uh, in Hollywood. Well, I, I think it's um, yeah. it's also different than uh, most people don't really understand what an exec producer. Yeah, or is, the hierarchy of what the different titles are on you know, the credits. Do you want me to explain that? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah, so I was uh, oddly, and I didn't go to film school, but I went to a couple talks at USC Film School, and there was a guy named Jimmy Jacks and Sean Daniels, and they were there. They they produced Animal House and all these. They're amazing. It's important. Everybody, I I always like to tell the story because they said it, and they did some Jean Claude Van Damme films at the time. They were like, oh, these guys are huge producers, especially with Animal House. But he said, uh, in a lot of films, you'll see like seven or eight executive producers, and a lot of those are vanity credits, right? Those are just you know credits that people credit up and actors who want to get in the business or people who put a little bit of money in. He goes, at the end of the day, if somebody dies on set, there is always magically one executive producer, and the executive producer who I've always strived to be and who I am is the guy who puts his ass on the line. 
I hold the insurance policies. Somebody gets hurt on my set. I'm responsible. I get, I usually get, I get the ups and downs. I collect all the lawsuits on my asses on the line. Somebody in the networks, networks or customers or people, they want to know that that person, you know, who is that person? Not the guy who was like, Oh, I want to be a credit too. I want a credit too. And then when it's the fan, they go, oh, I just had a credit and they walk away because <laughs> that guy's name. <laughs> yeah, is not right. So really executive producer, it's not always the most creative person. It's the person who's, you know, got the business acumen, put his ass on the line. And that's what, that's what we do. I mean, that's what my business is. And that's what I do for all my clients. And, you know, I'm the guy in charge. Do you find out that a lot of exec producers are attorneys, so they uh, know their way around the business and the legality? What are you up against uh, as far as competition? No, that's a really good question. I no, I don't. I don't meet that many. I have some friends of mine that are attorneys in in the industry too. No, I don't. In in that position, I, I uh, my opinion is I think attorneys get executive producer credits just for negotiating deals for their clients. When so, you've got a hit on your hands, though, bud, you're you reap the benefits, right? Unless you've got talent that has a, a crazy contract, correct? Yeah, usually the talent contracts are separate, but yeah, we, if you're lucky enough, like in my case, if you're lucky enough, if you hit an overhaul and you hit a show that's been on for 16 or 17 years, that's definitely life-changing. I mean, it's definitely you know a, a big thing. You spend the middle part of your career running from it, and then after the third or fourth time it gets renewed, you're like, yeah, okay, I love it. It's awesome. It defines <laughs> me. <laughs> so at what point when you're creating a, a new series – do you realize, okay, this one's going to be a hit? Is it in the development where you are, I mean, you've had a string of things that have been really big. Do you kind of have a gut feeling or do you just never know until people start responding to it? Well, the interesting thing is, is I always feel most of the stuff that I create is, is awesome. And I'm not saying that to be, you know, a, a, you know, a vain jackass, right? But you have to believe in your project. Nothing that I'm putting out, like I have a whole bunch of series and I've, and listen, I've, I've developed 400 shows and, you know, 50 of them get on the air, right? But 50 is a great number. And a lot has to do with timing. Some has to do with talent. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, if you do political stuff, it's in, it's in the atmosphere, what happens. You know, with, with rides and overhaul, and I happen to be at the right place at the right time um, when Discovery was turning the corner and they happen to be, it, it's, it is one of those weird things. Discovery popped up unbeknownst to me saying, hey, we're, we're going to do on Tuesday nights, we're going to turn TLC, which is a female skewing network, into... Uh, you know, into all cars. So go find some car projects. And I come bouncing in like, Hey, I got these two shows and I sold them. I'm like, Oh shit, now what? <laughs> I, I literally <laughs> sold these two shows back to back. And I'm like, Holy crap. And it is, it's life changing. It's good. So what is explain a development deal? So it's funny because uh, I work for motor trend and, and my partner here has been in uh, basically media industry for, well, I don't know, what is it going on four or 500 years lightning? Uh, yeah. I mean, as the, as the earth's crust cooled, <laughs> I got into the business, but I yeah. can't tell you how many times somebody with some fancy title from some production house is approached and go, I've got this development deal. We're looking for hosts or I've got this development deal and want to talk. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. We have a lot of development deals. We have to understand. And I, I have a ton of them too. Development deals It's like there's something about you or something about the the thing you represent your your book or your script or you as a host. You put a development deal and you attach to a show, right? Because what we have to do, and that's a big, really good question, is what we have to do as packagers, as as people, we go and we package these. We go into Discovery or Motor Trend and say, okay, I got this guy, I got this guy. Here's my story. Here's my budget. Here's my audience, and here's what I think we should do. You can't go in there unarmed, right? So respectfully, you have to pick somebody. You're like, I like that guy. And you and, and sometimes you look at people that got great podcasts, um, great social media, or they're amazing designer. 
you know, to, to kind of bring it full circle, I was doing rides, which is one of my first big series on TLC and Discovery. And I was able to introduce myself and meet and spend weeks and weeks of time with just about every top-notch builder in the world. And I ended up coming back to Chip Foose and saying, Chip, I got this idea for a series called Overhaul, and I want you to be my lead builder and designer. Not really a host, right? Because he's not a host for that show. The show doesn't, you know, AJ and Chris are the host. He's really, he's really the glue that holds it together. But, you know, I'm, I, I built cars with Roy Brizio. I built cars with Troy Japan. I built cars with Troy Ladd. You can go on and on with a list of people that I was able to kind of run around for a year and a half, two years on, on this, this season, the season I had called Rides. And I just chipped knew chip believed in me which is super important and understood what i needed and he was the only one dumb enough to believe in the format because <laughs> literally everybody else told me to off when i said we're going to build a car in seven days and chip's like we can do it and i think he was lying through his teeth too but <laughs> uh, uh, but he was the only one that believed in that and that that's what i looked at like because i never look for i never look for no's and uh, if you say no to me, I feel bad for you because I think you're just misguided. Which is why we're having you on the podcast, bud. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> everybody else said no. But I mean, <laughs> exactly. yeah, right. it, it seems like Chip is the eternal optimist, no? He's always an optimist. And when I came to him and said, I, this is what I want to do, but I knew in order to format the show and make it watchable and do this clicking, you know, this, this ticking clock and this is what we're doing – I was like, I think we can build this in seven days. And he was the only, dude, nobody. I even called my brother. I'm like, hey, Paul, I think we can do this. I'm like, no, no, wait. Because really the norm in the industry was like, paint takes three months. Oh, well, for sure. Yeah, paint takes three months? What? What? Why? Yeah, right. <laughs> and really, I'm an idiot. And I'm like, why? And then Chip and I start figuring out. And literally, it's really up to our sponsors, too. We had some amazing sponsors at the time who really, I have so many stories for you. It's crazy. Who literally would... um I got Cammy Ellabrock in so much trouble. I can't wait to tell that story because <laughs> oh, I'm we're ready. Yeah, we're ready. We're <laughs> ready. Oh my god, I have the greatest Cammy Ellabrock story, and and oh, and and Vic story. If you ever, and then here's the thing, I'm literally a jackass, but then I'm getting in fistfights and screamed at by by Vic Ellabrock. So I'm just I'm in, I'm I'm in my element. I'm having a blast. Although you're probably but, not the only one that pissed <laughs> off Vic Ellabrock. There are a lot of those stories. I think right. Oh no! Yeah, Vic, Vic, Vic hated everybody. He was, yeah. he was. Yeah, if he you, was, if you didn't, uh, if you weren't on the, uh, you know, catch his ire at some point, you probably weren't trying hard enough. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So when, uh, like, I forgot what episode it was, but we we did an episode of Overhaul, and it's all those roadblocks, right? I mean, literally roadblocks. And what I was saying about sponsors, I ended up getting. I'm not kidding. I had backdoor access to BF Gridges' warehouse in Ontario. I had backdoor key card. Uh, to Magnaflow to get product, backdoor key card to OPG to get product, anything we wanted. They're like, just stop calling me. Here's the, here's the key to thing. <laughs> Take what you want. Let us know in the morning. Cause they like, they know, like I really, and, and same thing with uh, Mark Boyd at classic industries, but the Vic Edelbrock story is a funny story because we needed a motor and generally, and the one thing that completely pisses you off about chip is he just always got to kind of be in the moment mm. and think about, you know, what he wants. And then finally he's like, yeah, I want this Edelbrock motor and blah, blah, blah. And of course, the norm in the industry is like, you know, you're on back order. That's going to take a couple weeks to build, yada, 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 whatever. And so we couldn't get a hold of Vic because, I don't know, he was at Monterey or Amelia Island or something like that, racing one of his amazing cars or something like that. And then Cammy's like, I have the key to the warehouse. I think we, my dad has a motor back there. 
So we literally broke into the warehouse with the key. So that's not really breaking in, is it? And we 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 <laughs> took it, a motor. It, is, it, it is sort of it, depends if the boss doesn't. That's know. That's exactly right. Yeah. If, it, if it's gonna piss off Vic, then yes, yeah. it's breaking. Well, in. I, I want to know: is this like Indiana Jones? Like, what do you? Is it a, a yellow sticky note on the refrigerator in like the employee oh. lounge, or are you putting like a, a bunch of sandbags the same weight as the engine in the exact same spot, hoping nobody notices? No, yeah, we didn't take out the old shit engine and drop. We swapped out. It would have been, been a oh, lot. Oh, think better. about that—an engine swap, right? Yeah. You just yeah. swap the old one for the new one in the uh, Edelbrock warehouse. I like that. Yeah, and then Vic, Vic would be like, "Who the hell put oil on my motor?" And then we all pissed off. No, we literally took it and in the sticky note on the desk, and then we we by the way we had that thing blown apart, and Chip had it painted like some random color of orange, and already slapped together. And Vic calls and like mother me up and down screaming at me and cammy calls me crying saying my dad's gonna call you he hates me now i'm like but vic look at all the exposure you're getting you're getting this this i don't care you gotta get that motor out and i'm looking at the motor in the car and chips i'm like mm, that's gonna be harder than i thought and, oh he just <laughs> yeah he uh he screamed at me for about 20 30 minutes and then i we we, we glossed it over things fine and then um and this is actually everybody's wacky memory, especially when you get older or whatever. And then the show comes out and it's a hit and everything's good. And Vic's like, oh, I'm so glad I trusted you guys. I'm like, no, you, you literally yelled at me and told me you're going to bury me. <laughs> <laughs> Come give me a hug. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, and you made, your, you made your daughter cry. Like, I convinced Cammy uh, that we're going to go in there and get that motor. And she believed Chip and I. So we're doing this really cool thing for Edelbrock. And... She got her ass handed to to her. So was she <laughs> running? Was, was she running marketing at the time, or was there something? Yeah, yeah. No, she was the head of marketing. Her, her and Ross Belanger was her, Ross Belanger was her uh, her uh, art art guy, and she was running marketing. Yeah, Ross, good good buddy of mine. In fact, he did the yep. uh, rendering on my '67 F100 for me. That is still sitting rotting. <laughs> Thanks. Lady. So we it's have we have so. I don't know why you guys don't hang out with me anymore. You probably, but because we have so many friends. Ross is one of my boys, and I love him. Uh, Will Beatty talks about you all the time. <laughs> Will, I, lo- I love I yeah, love Will, man, M- Mr. Clutch. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. And it's, love him. It's funny, you and I orbit, you know, in the same in the same general vicinity of each other, but we've only crossed a few times, like at the you know Dust of Glory premiere or. When uh, at SEMA, I'll see you running around and might throw up a, a hay as you're running and, into and the And you're theater. heavy enough to actually attract him into your orbit. Yeah, my you're gravity. Right? Yeah, my gravity. Absolutely. Exactly. Hey, so I'm curious. When you first had the, the first hit that started that gave you a paycheck, some semblance of money to more than just to live on, what car or truck did you treat yourself to? Because everyone in L.A. goes, oh, I've made it, Range Rover, or they, or they buy something. What was that for you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite that douchey, um, but I. But I have. I have a better story than that. It actually goes full circle. This goes back into Sean's world Ooh. when uh, back into the Prime Media days. Oh uh, my gosh, Prime Media. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm a Cadillac guy. I always have. I've had Cadillacs forever, so it doesn't really matter about that. But there, there's something that, and I, I was going to save this story to be on his podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it for this one. So, this, this one comment. And this article cost me literally millions of dollars. And it still does. It still does. Um, so to answer your question, I was doing all these cars, all right? And then I was making all these connections, and I was I was doing all this crazy stuff, racing cars, building cars, hanging out with the coolest people in cars, at SEMA banquets, doing all this stuff. And Hot Rod Magazine did a feature on me in, like, 2004, 2005. I think Ira Gaber was the uh, the editor at the time, or Gray Baskerville or somebody. It was, it was somebody. I don't know who it was. The Wayback Machine. Um, yeah, you know, definitely in a Wayback Machine. And they did an article on me, uh, and it was it was labeled, you know, the king of car, the king of car TV. 
and it, it based on my, my, my upbringing and my understanding of cars and I'm a real car guy and blah, blah, blah. So all this, this whole thing goes out, whatever. It's just a dumb ego trip. Right. And then I'm at ship shop and Christopher Titus is there and Christopher Titus comes in and says, Hey, read, Hey, read your article. I'm like, yeah, well, not my article. It's about me, but yeah. <laughs> and he goes, you're a poser. And I, Christopher and I, we go, we go, we battle back. And I was gonna, I was gonna ask if you knew. Uh, he was the only comic that I ever walked out on in the improv because I just didn't think he was funny. Is he still a comic? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't heard from him in a long time. But we went and watched him at the Bray Improv, and me and my friends, we just went, ah, this is lame when we left. So sorry, hmm. Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's he's a car guy, but he was a, at the time when he was running around blowing a bunch of money at Chips Place. He was a big comic. He had his own yeah, TV huge. show. He had his own yep, stuff. Yeah, yep. he was he was big at that time. So he, he calls me a poser, right? And he says, I'm a poser. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you don't even own a Hot Rod, and you're in a Hot Rod magazine. That's bullshit. I'm not in Hot Rod magazine. So it's a little self-serving jealousy there. But uh, but the only problem with that is he was right, and I was pissed. I'm like, was he, He's obviously busting your balls, but is was he angry, or was he ha- having fun with you at your you know at your expense? Well, if you could figure that out, you'd, then your your best guess is as good as mine. I, I don't know if you've seen <laughs> you've seen his comedy. He's always pissed off about something. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Oh no, I it's a, probably a little bit of both. No, he was he was just razzing me, but he was right. And it, you know, it's funny is about my style of of producing, and it doesn't matter if I'm doing stuff with SEAL Team or I'm racing or whatever's happening with Dust of Glory, all that stuff. I always I always immerse myself in the in the culture and do stuff. So I'm like, I gotta build a car. And that I don't know why it didn't hit me earlier. I was busy for two, three years cranking through these shows. So I got a, there's a book about it right now. Yeah, uh, Matt Stone, Wayback Machine again. Matt yeah. Stone, good friend of mine. He yeah, it's in a book. So I former ended up editor take, of Motor Trend, by the way, for those of you who don't. And now uh, and uh, famed automotive author. Yes. Yeah, and I'm in one of his books, by the way. Which one? So um, I don't know. My first car, I think it is. Okay. It's called my first car. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there's a chapter in there about me. So. I call up my friend Kevin King from year one, uh, who's a very close friend of mine. And I'm like, Titus just gave me shit about this. So I need to build a car. So my dad bought me a 69 Mach 1 Mustang when I was like 14 or 15 years old. And it, this is the story that's in the book. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just blurt it out now real quick. Uh, and, and I was, uh, if you, <clears throat> I know you can't tell now, but I was kind of an asshole back then. very very shocking i've come out of my show (laughs) so my dad bought this car uh unbeknownst to me he bought this car right and because you know dads dads are pretty smart by the way so he buys this beat the looked like it got hit by a train 69 mustang right 69 mach 1 literally i'm not joking you it's in matt's book looks like it got hit by a train like the side of it and my dad's all proud that he somehow drugged this out of some, some lake <laughs> and said, hey, this is our summer project. And I'm like 15, 16 years old. I'm like, that is our summer project? Is that where you got the idea for a seven-day car build is because the Mach 1, you went, Dad, no, and you had to figure out a, a way to rescue uh, anybody who came after you? Uh, no, no, I got I got that I, I have another story which does involve my dad about the seven-day car build. And, you know, long story short, I looked at my dad, I was like, Dad, I am not spending all my summers, you know, bonding the crap out of that thing. And that's a unibody. It's all crutch on one side. You know, Dynacorn at that point didn't exist. Like, there's no way we're rebuilding that this summer. So I'm sorry, but, you know, you can keep your piece because I really don't want it. So that's fine. You know, the good thing about dads is they, you know, they, they don't care really much what you say to when you're 15 to 16 year old because they know you're just stupid. <laughs> and so, so that's my dad gave me that look, and I don't know, you know. And then I left home, did a bunch of stuff, and got some stuff, and, and and had a little money. And 
So anyhow, I drugged, I had that car drug out. Kevin King at year one and the boys built me a uh, 69 Mach 1 Mustang. It's called Blackened. Uh, and by the way, it was it was murdered out before that was a thing. I promise you, it was, we murdered the whole thing out. Chip came out one day on a rainy day at a car show we were working on and did a whole bunch of work on it and stuff like that. So it's got his touch on it, his wheels. Um, I still have it. That was that was the first hot rod that I built. It was through my uh, my buddy Kevin King at Year One, um, and it's fantastic. It's called Black and it's got a 4.6 mod motor in it. Overbuilt like you would not believe. Four link. I had it on the track at at Road Atlanta. You know, ripping ripping through it because I like to beat on my stuff. Um, but yeah, that was the first car. Once I once once I decided to wake up and. Uh, and say, hey, I should go, you know, really embrace the hobby. And it does change you because once you embrace the hobby and you're building your own, and you're putting your money out and they're asking you about tire sizes and offsets and you want a six speed or an automatic or do you want cup holders or whatever. Yeah, that car is a little ridiculous. So that's the car. Have you ever built a truck? Um, I'm in my truck right now. Um, oh. Have I have I ever built a truck? Uh, that's a really good question. I have a truck now. I wouldn't say that I've, you know, that I've tore it all apart. I mean, I got King shocks on it and 37 inch BF Goodrich tires. So wait a minute. So what is it? This has got to be a Raptor then, right? No. What is it? Uh, yeah, you guys are going to hate me for that. We'll talk about Raptors in a minute. It is not a Raptor, but I have a Raptor story because no, it's not a Raptor. I bought it as a production vehicle because we, we always go down to Mexico and we're, we're tracing. So I bought it. Um, I bought it as a chase vehicle really for my crew. Cause I was at the time always in the car racing and I, I don't have a Raptor. I'm about, three days from getting a Raptor. Cause I just, I can't, mm. you know, it's funny when I, when I de- developed and raced the Raptor in 2008, we had the six, two, but they only had the five, six. So they said, I was talking to Jamal Hamidi and the guys they are like, wait till the six, two comes out, which is 2010, yeah, when, 2000, the 2011. Six, two was the, was the engine that was supposed to come out the whole time. And they, it was delayed. And if you remember the, uh, at the time, the six, two was called the hurricane. And, uh, they changed the marketing and shelved the engine after I think it was Katrina or something like that. And the early Raptors had the 5.4 in it, and the, the suspension wasn't as good because it wasn't really meant – it was like a stopgap to get the Raptor out there early. And then when the 6.2 came out, that was the truck that was always supposed to be out there. And uh, funny, I anyone who wants to go back in our episodes can listen to the, uh, the episode where I talk about how I personally saved the Raptor. Nice. You, you, who do you talk to? What do you mean you personally saved the Raptor? We don't have to hear that again because you can go back in the archive. Well, it's, it's like 100 episodes ago, but uh, essentially what happened was I was the first journalist to break Raptor, um, and I found out what it was and had dinner at the Detroit Auto Show in January of, uh, I don't know, it was like 2009, and had uh, a business card, passed it to Matt O'Leary across the table as the chief engineer for the F-150 at the time and said, I know. I think it's cool. How can I help? Matt looked at my card, shook his head no at me, and then handed it off to the PR person. And so her and I had a round, and uh, I said, listen, I know about it. I you know, I want to help you guys out. Let me have the exclusive, and I, I'll stay under your embargo. And essentially Ford said, no, you're, we don't talk about future vehicles. We don't care what you think you know. And so at that time, I had gone out, uh, shared a car with Mike Levine, who's now at PR at Ford, and uh, he was running a website called pickatrucks.com at the time. He and I shared a cab, and I said, listen, on Friday at 6 p.m. West Coast time, when all the Detroiters are asleep, I'm putting out this story. If you want to share it from four-wheeler, then let's do it. I said eight things about the Raptor, uh, five or six of which I knew were true. Or I'm sorry, four of which I knew were true, and six of which actually ended up being true. And that night, Detroit called my phone, told me I'd never uh, work with them again. I'd never be uh, allowed on another program, on and on and on. And 
Long story short, I was banned and blacklisted from Ford and said, how could you do this to us? You, we, we thought we were friends and blah, 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 blah. And they started going after my friends in the industry who worked for tier one suppliers to get them fired because they all assumed that they had told me something, which none of them had. I eventually had to call Alan Hall and tell him to take the dogs, call them call back. Off, call off the dogs. Call off the dogs, right? Because uh, nobody told me. And I said, this is how I found out. It's called journalism. And here's what I know. And that whole deal went viral. And if you remember at the time, the GT40 and the Cobra replacement were like called Daisy and Petunia. But for some reason, the truck team thought, well, let's call it Raptor. Well, Raptor was the code name. It was never supposed to be the actual name of the truck. But because my story went viral and everybody started talking about it, everybody called it Raptor. And they decided when it got the green light that they were going to call it Raptor. Now, this was at the time that GM and Chrysler were going bankrupt and Ford was on the fence as to whether they were going to go bankrupt or leverage the the brand in order to stay out of bankruptcy. And so a lot of people within Ford said, this is not a good idea having a gas-guzzling desert truck when we're going through all the hardship of, of what's happening right now. And a few months later, Mark Gruber, who's still at Ford and, and uh, was overseeing Bronco, you know, Bronco was one of his more recent programs, had called me and he said, listen, uh, Raptor got approved. Thank you for getting the information out there. We want to give you the print exclusive, and everything <laughs> and everything came full circle. So anyway, wow. long story short, uh, me breaking the story gave Mark and his team and Jamal the ammo they needed to convince ma- uh, management that Raptor was a good idea. The the whole point of that was on the internal calendars, right at Ford. If you know they didn't want to have oh uh, working on next generation F one fifty, right? So they would say. Project Daisy. Okay, nobody cares about that. And that's how those code names came to be. Well, the truck team had working on Raptor. Well, that thing sounds awesome. Why are we why are we you know telling people about it? So So I was racing a lot, 2005, 2006, 2007, and I'm also doing a lot of media, right? Let's be honest. People only talk to me, you know, because I do I do media and I do stuff like that. And I know a lot of those those players uh, at Ford. And I got called to Ford late uh, mid 2008 right and they want to do an unveiling of a clay model right no cameras or nothing it was me steve Olagus, who i know you probably know really well so we were brought out to michigan to kind of look at this thing right so we looked at it basically a clay model f-150 was all they just took an f-150 and clay model all this thing and they told us what it was and we're like holy shit. And at the time i'd done a lot of racing down in mexico and then and you're 100 right for most of that, it was like that. You know, it's, it's irresponsible to do a gas guzzling, a gas guzzling, you know, off-road capable vehicle right in the middle of this enormous downturn in the economy. So really, um, and I, I have a different take on it. So I think different than your story, but really, the only media plan that we did that Ford decided to do at all was a couple viral videos that we did. We did one with Leslie Weeks and Rob McCacker and and uh, Greg Biffle. We put together a my company because I do a lot of branded entertainment. I do branded entertainment, just kind of like I don't know, edgy, wacky car guy for a lot of people. So we did a whole bunch of viral videos. This is 2008. Viral videos, like hey, throw this out there. So we did viral videos, and then I did a movie called Born in Baja, where we documented the entire build and process of that car and building of the race team, and then racing the, the Baja 1000. So we we documented the whole thing. And then I did a movie premiere at the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Mark was there. A. Jamie Allison was there. Hans was there. All the engineers. Jim Stevenson, who's the motor engineer who developed the 6.2. All those guys came. Um, but that was really kind of a soft launch because it really, you know, in my world, it wasn't, you know, multi, multi-million dollar stuff that they do on ad campaigns because it wasn't that responsible. 
so I raced and developed. Uh, we we built the car out at. Uh, so if I ever built a truck, yeah, we turned a lot of wrenches and spent a lot of time out of Fouts Motorsports in, in Arizona working on the initial Raptor. Now, had I known that it was going to be the Raptor, which is the you know the best selling SVT um, special vehicle market special market vehicle in Ford's history, probably paid a little more attention. But we filmed a lot of the stuff. We've been involved with Raptor from the beginning. We raised. I raced my stent which was a blast. I was in their prototype vehicle racing down in Mexico. Could not believe it. I did a, and there's the thing in the film, I think it did 104 miles an hour cost a Laguna Salada, just flat out, opened the awesome. truck up. And it, it was amazing. It was amazing. And my co-driver's like, should we be doing this? I'm like, yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. We're Laguna here, Salada racing. is yeah. amazing. As long as you don't hit it, it when it's particularly silty. It's just this wide open dry lake bed, and it's just gorgeous down there. Oh, it's Are so, there any uh, so any crazy. booby traps in through there? Well, I mean, it's Baja, yeah, so like all the locals like to do stuff like that. There was a time there was. A, I remember very clearly of the time, and I remember I was a helicopter pilot. Uh, was telling me, "Yeah, be careful. There's an abandoned car out there, and it comes up on you quickly." So we're flying through the to the darkness, and I'm like, "I want to see how fast I can get this thing." And I'm like. 104, 105, and I'm like, I'm just looking, like, I'm waiting for this car to come out of nowhere. <laughs> and all I can think of is like, I'm just, because they told us don't wreck it. Because the hard part about racing, and I've raced a, a, a couple times for Ford, is it's just when you're, when you're, when you're doing the race prep, everything on it is stamped prototype. So the motor, prototype, A-arms, prototype, shocks, prototype. Like everything all, like there's no replacements, there's none of this, there's nothing, and it's just so mind, it's just mind-blowing. It's like I can't break anything. And that was, you know, that, that that's, a Raptor, of, that's a lot of responsibility too. When you have, I mean, it's it's millions of dollars of development, you know, money into that thing, and I, and at that point, so the, and, and they say go win, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the, the first the first couple prototypes were had JD Fab long travel kits on the F one fifty that had thirty fives, and we're driving around Dearborn and stuff, and we had some photos, and it was funny because they put a bunch of stickers on the back like Peterson's four wheel off road, and you know, I I think it had Bill Stein's on it or something, and they had all these stickers just to make it look like somebody's truck. And it was a JD Fab kit, but it was funny because it had manufacturer plates. So everybody started going, "Wait a minute, that's that's not quite right." And you was, was that the was that the red model? The, X? Yes, I saw that. Yeah, the red model X was out of Borrego when we were testing too. That was the, the over the at La- Larry's property. Yeah, Larry uh, Larry was not too happy with me after I broke the the news. He said they had a security detail that was looking for me in the desert. As if I was out there with a scope seeing what they had to do. And I'm like, oh, Larry, I was that, never out there. Is that crazy Larry, the guy who has rattlesnakes and his watch guard? Yes, and has, has yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the cannons yep. and the helicopters and all the things that go yep. onto the compound. So I was just going to go back really quick to your comment about how it's the best-selling SVT vehicle of all time. And what was interesting is, if you remember, Raptor was a replacement for Lightning, uh, different than the Lightning on this show, and uh, much, much cooler. Yes, much more attractive. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, what they wanted to do is when they took Lightning and made it into a two-wheel drive, supercharged, lowered sport truck, there was always going to be a compromise because it had a high center of gravity. It was already a truck. And they basically took a truck and made it a worse truck. And so the idea behind Raptor was, we're going to take a truck and make it the ultimate truck. And so it essentially replaced Lightning in the lineup. And the worst year of Raptor has outsold the best year of Lightning forever. I mean, that's how popular it was, and that's how right on the decision was to move in that direction. Now, it's funny, you fast forward to 2020, and you look at the landscape, and in my opinion, the reason off-roading is, is so popular now, and while all the manufacturers are starting to get back into off-road packages and really put a lot of money and, and time and R&D and marketing into the space, is because if you look at it, a Hellcat's amazing, right? Like a Challenger or a GT350 or, or whatever. 
But you can know there's unless you're on a track, there's no place that you as a driver can't can drive it. it at ten tenths. Right. You just can't do it on the street because they're so powerful. They have so much overhead. Whereas a desert truck is sort of the last bastion of truly being able to drive and, and feel the vehicle, especially like you know, a Raptor or a, a Chevy Colorado ZR2 where you can turn off all the nannies and just be a driver. You just really can't do that in some of the high-powered cars anymore. And so I, I really think that's a big reason why trucks and off-road especially is so, so popular now. Yep. No, off-roading is definitely, uh, definitely amazing. When I, I talked to a bunch of the guys, uh, I was in an event and they're like, they were, we were talking about the launch of this and how clandestine it was. And it has turned out to be the best special market vehicle launch of all time at Ford. And I remember, cause I, I actually was doing a deal with Toyota and they were, they were me about something. And I, I think I remember like, it's like when they said the F-150, like one out of every 11, uh, Raptor or will be a F-150s will be turned into a Raptor. And now that number, and that's the only capacity will never change. And this thing won't be that popular. And that's why the budget's so low. They gave me this song to dance to Ford did. Like, there's no way this could be that big because we sell so many F-150s. That there's no way we're going to build another plant for it. So now it's like, I don't know what the numbers are right now. It's like one of every six or one of every five is a Raptor. They're cranking these things out left and right. And Toyota gave me that same song to dance. Like, nope, we don't have the capacity. We're only building 2,000 of these. I'm like, yeah, well, it's kind good. of funny because, you know, Toyota, as good as they are, have a little bit of an arrogance about them, at least, you know, in the past decade or so, where they sell every one that they can make. So they kind of just say, we're Toyota. And when the uh, Colorado came out with a more powerful V6, and they came out with their, I think it's the 3.5 liter with the uh, the uh, dual injection, it was like, why isn't this more powerful? They're like, because it, it doesn't need to be. You know, it was just sort of like, we're Toyota, you know, and... And well, dude, they're really. I had. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll talk out of school because I like to. But we. We were doing a deal. Me, Roger. Me and Roger Norman doing a deal with Score with Toyota. We're trying to right, and they're 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 launching their their pro package, and they're telling us this, and we're trying to make a license deal with them. And basically, they flat out told us Toyota only cares about NASCAR. It does not care about um, off road. It doesn't care about Baja. It doesn't care about. We just told them to pound sand and go home. Like if you don't care about it, like you don't care about your heritage. Your entire company was built by Iron Iron Man Stewart in the, totally. in the desert. You don't care about it? like nope. Our 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 leadership only cares about it. And we were dealing with their agency and one of their heads, and we like it was uh we I we had some people there, and just coming and this was you know three or four years removed from the Raptor. We're dealing with Toyota, and they're just being arrogant as possible. Yeah, they don't they don't care. They like they their their leadership does not care about the off road racing. And, and I'll qualify that. I agree with you. It's the leadership because there are people there. Uh, like Mike Swears and, and folks like that who are absolutely passionate about desert racing and the product. But I also think that they're a little handcuffed as to what they ultimately are, are allowed to do. Yep, I agree. I'm curious, bud, how'd you start racing and why? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, so, you, so, it was I, a bet. It was a bet at Senior Frogs in Ensenada. And he well, went, I mean, so he <laughs> comes to L.A., he starts working in film and TV, and, and generally speaking, I'm going to generalize, paint everyone with a broad brush, but Hollywood types generally want nothing to do with flat bill stuff, you know? Yeah, but quote-unquote Hollywood types love racing. Look at all the crossover people. I mean, a gazillion from James that Dean to generally that's it's all. Well, hold on, let's not say a gazillion. That's that's ridiculous. No, it's only the cool ones. You got Paul <laughs> Newman, James. There's Paul Newman, James Dean. Uh, Steve McQueen, James Gardner was out there. Yeah, Patrick Dempsey's a, a real racer. I've raced against him a bunch of times in Baja. We raced to, not together, but against each other. Uh, and then randomly me. And I'm I'm not really a flat biller by any stretch of the imagination. And I wouldn't have raced. 
I mean, everybody hears the lure of Baja 1000. And I've, I've done some sports car racing back in Atlanta because I have some friends out there. And we, 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 would, we would have a lot of fun. And, and, but there was something about sports car racing I didn't like. Um, and it might have been – I can tell you exactly what it was because I, I just did it recently in, at Road Atlanta. It's, it's the discipline, the timing, the unforgiveness of, of you know, missing shifts and hitting exact points. you got to be so – and I'm not saying this to be weird, but you just got to be so disciplined and precise and focused. And, it's, and I, I say this 100% correctly. It's a little bit easy where your mind starts drifting, right? Yeah. And because I'm a little or massively ADHD or whatever you want to call it, I, I have a lot on my mind and I got a lot going at all the times. Um, I got it. I did a rides episode. So rides is one of the big series I did for discovery channel and Rafael Navarro, Rafael Navarro from at the time from Via Goodrich, um, he we moved to Pirelli now, um, and then moved on from Pirelli now. Um, he, he drug me down there and said, Hey, you got to do this ride special on the terrible herbs team. So I'm like, okay. And so as I start planning to run or chase with the, the terrible herbs, I also get in the car with, um, Reese Millen's dad, Rod Millen, who I love. Rod Millen's an amazing race race car driver, and we're out in the desert in a when we're testing a desert uh, vehicle, like a fast attack vehicle, and it goes into a helicopter, and we are just bombing through the desert. I'm like, what the hell is this? So I go down and I see I see 2003, 2004. I see the Herps race. They end up winning their they win the overall in the Truggy. So our first the we truggy. Were <laughs> Dude, the that truggy. thing that thing was the most badass thing on four wheels and dominated for I don't quite re- a while. I don't recall that. It's a truck buggy. Oh, the truggy. Okay. They yeah, call it, it the truggy. It was just it's it it just was so dominating. Herps was the the guys to beat. Uh, great race yep. team, great chassis build. I mean, just everything about it. Like they those were the guys. So we're embedded with them and Larry Rossler and all the stuff. So now obviously I got a little taste of the crack. And then Raphael the next day or the next year says, we're putting a celebrity team together. Do you want to go race? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to go race. So they put some celebrity team together and I'm a, I'm a lot different than celebrities because celebrity, I trust me, I'm the only one that did it for 14 years after that. None of the people we had down on this coat, you know, kind of Soto kind of a celebrity team, you know, stuck and decided to race much less become involved with the organization. So I went down there to celebrity race. And I raced, and we we got our asses kicked, and I had a reporter with me, and it, it was it was brutal and terrible and awful, and I loved it because here's the thing about Baja for for guys like me who need you know, it scares you to death, right? And I need to know that if I'm not paying attention, and I'm going to go off the cliff, and then then you have my attention. If I'm going to die, or more importantly, at that point, <laughs> kill the guy next to me. I probably mine's not going to drift off. I'm not yeah. going to think about girls. I'm not thinking about business. Well, that's not true. You're taxes. still thinking about girls. Yeah. Well, no, no. I actually no. I'm not. <laughs> I'm all I'm thinking at about the is, end of the race, you're going. I'm going to finish this thing, and there's going to be a bunch of girls there. Yeah. All I'm thinking is don't die. Don't die. And 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 and, I, and I'm wearing. Listen, a the the desert is the great equalizer because no matter how skilled you are, the desert can take out any single one of those people on any given moment. It's like baseball. Even a bad baseball team can beat you on if they're having a good day, right? Like it's it's the magic. And and I don't use this lightly, but Baja is majestic, and the way that you were able to bring it to life in Dust to Glory, which in my opinion is one of the greatest off-road films of all time, is unbelievable. And at that time, I was racing in Baja, and so to have ties to that experience and and to understand what it was like to be in a car for seven or eight hours at 
80 to 100 miles an hour, bombing over stuff, getting just beat to beat to hell. And it's funny because, you know, there's times where if you're in a rhythm and it's nighttime and all you can see is the tunnel vision from the lights and you're in the back half of the course where, you know, there's not a lot of spectators and you're just motoring. There's times like if you're the co-dog, you're starting to fall asleep. And you just oh, yeah. get, you're getting the crap beat out of you, but you're in like, it's almost like being a baby. Like you have a helmet on, you have like this long sleeve race suit that's all comfortable. You got your catheter on, so you're just peeing it at will, you know, through your boot. And, and you know, I remember the story how you started to fall asleep and then he ran you through the brush. Yeah, so, yeah, the so when I was racing with Josh Hall, <laughs> I was falling asleep through a section of it. We were in the cactus gardens. So, you know, those Hummer H2s are so wide. He takes out the cactus and bulbs are flying through the window, you know, windshieldless frame. And sticking to my race suit, right? And he's laughing, and because you're you know, an a hole falling asleep right. while he's driving. But it's weird. I'm just saying, like it's it's the, there's this uh, it's just there's something overcomes you, and it's it's amazing. It can be the most adrenaline pounding. Something broke. Get past these people. Just missed out on a wreck. To this while most you're at beautiful, peace. serene, yeah. peaceful. Even with the sound of a V8 at six thousand RPM going through silt, there's something peaceful about it. It's I like unless you have been in a race car in Baja. You just can't even understand it. The closest you'll see is in Dust to Glory. Well, the problem is, oh, and I was going to ask you about that. The problem is, is that 99.99% of the people listening will never be in that situation. So why is it that uh, From Dust to Glory was so good? And then I want to find out from Bud, have there been any precarious situations where you thought you were going to die? Holman, you first. All right. In my opinion, Dust to Glory is, is awesome because it's, it's not just about who won the race. There, it follows multiple stories of multiple characters and people that are not only on motorcycles, in trucks, but also the cast of characters that you will actually run into down in Baja who are on the periphery of the of the thousand, right? Who are Are you saying that I'm going to care about the the characters? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's there's a lot of things that happen in that movie in that particular year that it was filmed that transcend a lot of different Bajas and the Baja experience as a whole. And what happens to the main character in the movie, you're bummed out that it happens, but the, it still has a happy ending. And the way that, Bud, you guys are able to weave that story with actual events and what happened, but also bring in the greater group of characters that are down there, it just makes you feel a part of it, and the magic that you have of being in Baja is captured really well in that movie. Where can we, can I, Netflix? Where can I see it? Apple? Yeah, Amazon? you can. You, it, no, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime, and I, it's not on Netflix. It's on Amazon Prime right now. I okay. think. Um, yeah, you can watch it there. I mean, here's the thing: it's and what you're tapping into is what our art is, right? So what we try to do, and I face this, I face this all the time, even with overhauling. But um, if you're a good storyteller, right? We were able to sit down with with Dana Brown. It's okay, Dana. What here's just I remember sitting very well. Like here, here's the cast of characters. Here's the stories that are happening. Here's what's going on. And and Dana obviously comes from a long a long lineage of uh, filmmakers. His dad, Bruce Brown, was an amazing filmmaker. And honestly, you, you think it doesn't transcend, and it does, right? He's got a very odd way of doing it. But then he tells these stories, and haven't you know? Trust me, I didn't know he was going to bring in some of his friends, and this friend's going to do this and do that. But you you lay out you lay out the stories, and he's like, oh, let's follow that story. And he doesn't follow the race because that's you know, listen, it's like it's like my wife who gets completely tired of me talking about Baja. It, you know, the race is one thing, but Baja 1000 race is the, the race of a thousand stories, right? And nobody knows these stories, like you and two other guys. Like, I almost off a cliff, and then I had a rope, and I pulled the guy out, and I saved two guys' lives. There's like four people on the planet who experienced that, 
But if you're able to tell a story and tell people and you care about them, you care if they win, you see they cry, you see they lose and they win. That's what you hope that, you know, when we were released, when we launched Dust the Glory, that's what we hope you bring to it. When I was talking to Roger, I'm like, I, I got to be able to do this film because you got to be able to tell the stories of who, who these people are. And that's what filmmakers do. And, you know, Dana Brown, who was our director, and I was just honored to be involved with the project, but he's, he's that kind of guy. He tells these stories in kind of a really cool, serene way. Um, but yeah, watch it. It's, it's, we're all very proud of that thing. And it, it shows people what we do and, and why we love it. It's not just scaring the shit out of ourselves. We're not trying to really kill ourselves. It's really. But if it happens, story. it's good. Uh, good TV. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely good. <laughs> but, by the way, just so people know, uh, Dana Brown. Uh, you, you, if you're into surfing, Step Into Liquid was another famous one that he did, and then his dad Bruce, of course, The Endless Summer. I mean, I think everybody yep. probably knows knows that movie. So, you know, it definitely comes from a you know pedigree of, of filmmakers. And the motorcycle movie on any Sunday. We did yeah, any Sunday, yeah. Sunday oh my God, and that's on, his. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was Bruce Brown. Yep, and on a Sunday too, which was done by Red Bull Films, Dana directed that one. So yeah, there's the stuff that they get to go run around and do is crazy. Now you've kind of become, but the go-to car producer in that, uh, I think we all followed Hot Import Nights. You know that was what kind of preceded all the Fast and Furious movies. That was the that was the car series that would happen at night, very concert esque, and it exploded. You covered that. You've covered all these different genres. Do you have a favorite? Is it off-roading? Like, where do you where do you stand there? Uh, well, racing wise, you know, I love all kinds of racing. I watch a little bit of NASCAR and I love sports car racing. But can, you know, no, far- no, I'm talking about like being a, as a producer covering the stuff. They're like, oh yeah, um, no, no. Listen, I I'll cover it all. I mean, really, because at the end of the day, um, and this is what I I try to allude to earlier. For me, it's about storytelling, right? And cars and where we I'll, I'll give you a little hint right overhauling is not really a car show and i trust me i i get in fistfights with people who who label me just a car producer i'm like yeah i'm just a car producer really well overhauling is really a story about about families and about people and i that that show taught me about that because we would tell stories about this is my dad's car trying to connect to this kid over here. My grandfather died and i want to rebuild this car this soldier's coming back and we want to do something good for them it's about people doing good yeah, the car is literally the vehicle to get you from through that story, but there's always something behind it. People have affinity for their cars, and there, our cars represent a time of our life. And it doesn't matter if it connects with your dad, your high school, your girlfriend, or an amazing summer when you're drag racing around. That car is a part of our life, kind of like music is a part of your life. Did Overholland start that way, or did it become more like from day one when you sold it to the network? Did you say, this is going to be a very human story, and it just cars are just pieces of the puzzle? Or did it start more about the build and morph into, wow, the drama is really what people are tuning in for? Yeah, it was, it was, never, it was never a build show by any stretch of the imagination because most of my shows are very complex, right? Most of my shows are not, <clears throat> you know, not like, hey, we're going to get this. No, no disrespect, Sean. Like, hey, we're going to get this wheel and we're going to bolt it on. Like, hey. Uh, Hey, I, I'm all for it. I'm tired of garage shows. I, I, I'm hoping that somebody can come up with something a little bit more interesting uh, because everybody and their mom is doing garage shows. And it's like, all right, we've seen that. Like, like let's take the automotive experience to the next level. No, and I, you know, they, yeah, they, they did. They, I think they did that. I've never done a garage show. I, I hate them. It's like, I'm not doing garage shows, guys. That's not what I do. We are different. I used to talk to Joe Lawrence 
um, Joe St. Lawrence, and I love him. He's a good friend of mine. And he's like, he's like, we're competitors. Like, no, we're not. Like, I do different stuff. You yeah. do awesome garage shows. You made a whole cottage, cottage industry out of it. That's not what I do. No, overhauling was always very, very complex, right? And trust me, the network, who's very heavy-handed, you kind of work for them now, but they're like, you know, you got to have drama and you got to people fight. And like, first of all, Chip's not fighting with anybody, first of all. And second of all, if you pay attention to what the pranks do and how we're messing with people and we're arresting people and doing all, it's like, there's your drama. If you pay attention, there's the drama and then here's the tears at the end. So it is a complex formula to put a show together. And that's why I say like, I never create a show that's just like, ah, well, let's just try this. And if they don't buy it, oh, so what? I don't really care. Because you, you kind of have to birth these things. You're going to say, look, this is, uh, I have a couple huge shows that I'm working on, and they're complex. I think in order to do them right and, and, and serve many emotions and also serve many audiences, right? Because you have, you have, you know, many audiences who sit different now, but sit down together and watch it. You try to, you know, when they TLC came to me, it's like, well, you were supposed to bring in the mail. They uh, they made a calculation, and I remember I talked to John Hendrick about it. Their calculation: we're going to lose our females, and we're going to pack them with males because we're doing car guy stuff. And when overhauling came around, the females would stay, and the males would come. And they're like, they were perplexed. Like, why is that? It's like because we're telling the story about the Boy Scout and his dad building a car together. That's a human story. Listen to the story. Listen to the music. Yeah, we haven't got a really bitching car um, out of it, and that's awesome. And we also have the prank element. The storytelling is complex. Kind of like the Truck Show podcast, really deep over here. Not, really, no, we're no? as shallow as a kiddie pool. Yes, yeah, that's true. Do, do the networks just want another American Chopper where it's just father and son screaming each other? Throwing the, uh, chairs through the, windows? To the point where it actually breaks up the family and they don't <laughs> yeah, really right. talk to each other anymore. Ever. And, <laughs> and dad divorces his wife after a gazillion years and then cheats with a hot young chick and then... Son still doesn't talk to. I mean, that is a, a disaster, and it seems like good TV I, though. Good TV, yeah. but that went so bad. I know it's not. That's not yours, but no, those it's not my. I don't do that kind of shit, and I, I agree with you. I, I don't do that kind of stuff, and I never wanted to, and I don't get it. It's it's like um, it's like truckers with daddy issues. Watch that. Shit. I don't get it. Like, why are you? <laughs> <laughs> like you, you really want Mikey to get yelled at, and they're broken up, and they don't talk to anybody. But somehow the audience loves that stuff, and, and God bless the people who produce you know, Housewives of Beverly Hills and all that. Like, I just don't, I won't do that kind of stuff. I think there's enough drama, and there's enough story. Good. And by the way, I feel and this is my personal opinion, and you guys can please come to my office if you disagree. I don't really care, but. That's an easy way to produce. If all you got to do is like, hey, let's piss your dad off and light, light his new truck on fire and, and then turn the cameras on. By the way, you're a weak-ass producer. Well, oh, wait, wait, wait. Well, I can we come to your office anyway? Yeah, no, we want to hang out anyway. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll bring the beer. So wait a minute. I need no. to know. So when you see the way that like Ryan Seacrest produces, uh, you know, with the Kardashians and stuff like that, is that to you, is that cheap? And does it piss you off or is that a hybrid? Like what? All those shows are the same and they're making – Mega, mega, mega bucks, mega stars. Right, I mean, they're, they're all formulaic. It just has different people and a different background. Uh, just yeah. Well, what's what's weird about the Kardashians? And my the only thing I can say about it is that they are fully invested, right? So the manipulation there is not the producers. And the, the Kardashians are different. I mean, way, way different than most everybody. They are in charge and they're manipulating, not being manipulated <laughs> by by the producers. That's, and what I mean by good that point. is, they're so smart just the way they're doing, and I'm, I apologize I said that to everybody who's going to send me hate mail, that they know the game. They'll go, I'm pregnant, 
and they'll tell the producers, like, I'm pregnant. I'm about to go knock on the door and tell my family that I'm pregnant, and I don't know who the daddy is. You guys ready? Okay, good. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it. They absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> they just drop bombs on each other. I don't, uh, I don't, right I don't watch that, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, you, no, I mean, I you have a either. wife. I guarantee yeah, no, you've she, seen she it. She definitely does not watch Are it. Are you serious? No, she only likes murder porn. Oh, my God. We yeah. have got every single thing on the DVR has to do with murdering your husband or whatever. And I just look at her. I'm like, are you trying to tell me something? She goes, oh, no, this one's crap. Or she'll get like two minutes into a movie and go, I'm out. Dude, my wife is still in mourning over the uh, the cop show, the, the Friday Night Live, whatever the hell it was called. With a PD live, live, PD. live PD. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, she was addicted to that show. No, and my, I would walk in and go, I can't do it. And I'd close the door and leave. Yeah. I can't, I can't no, do girls, it. Girls are sadistic. They watch Snap and all this stuff, like Dateline. Oh my God. Yeah, these yeah. these crimes of passion where they cut off either somebody's <laughs> and then they bury it in the thing. <laughs> so you, you alluded to the fact that you're working on a couple of very big projects. Can you give us any Yeah, I, I asked you for a title and you just sheepishly basically told me to uh, kick rocks. Kick rocks, yeah. Yeah, pound sand. Uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's unlikely, but it's still super, super cool. I can tell you a little bit about it. I can't tell you much, but, uh, and it's very out of character for me. If you would, if you, you know, because I'm not a Comic Con dude, but this one's, mm, this one kind of walks the line of Comic Con. So I am currently working on a show with Christopher Lloyd um, and Josh Gates, and it's regarding DeLorean. And it'll be a big, we should be done already, but COVID hit, but it's going to be a big discovery special. Um, we're going to be celebrating what? the 35th, anna- 35th anniversary of Back to the Future. And we have all the, like a bunch of big celebrities involved, a bunch of time machines. It's a massive, Please, massive please tell show. me this is like the automotive version of uh, building the Brady Bunch house in person. Um, it's by the way, it's very funny. It started out that way, but uh, it really? it's a little bit different. Yeah, it started, definitely started out that way. It was a massive uh, there's a term I'm going to give you guys. It's called the Bradyfication. We're going to do the Bradyfication yeah. of of the DeLorean, um, but it really morphed into something much better. So you know, I'm 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 happy uh, to be obviously working with Discovery and some of the specials people. That's about all I can I, say. I feel but. like we should bring up what Bradyfication is. Is so for those who don't know, the Brady Bunch house in Los Angeles was purchased, and uh, the Discovery family attacked it with. Uh, I, th- I guess it was on well, the HGTV. Thing is, the thing is, this the Brady house is a real house that right. real people but, live in. But it does not match the set at all. So what they did is they basically renovated the real house into what the actual Brady house would have been in real life. And it was actually pretty fascinating. I got sucked in and, you know, here at work, you know, Discovery is is our uh, is our owner. And so we get all this stuff. Oh, check this out. You know, I've, you know we all grew up with Brady Bunch. And I was like... Uh, uh, Sort of fascination. I have a, a strange obsession with looking at floor plans of what TV show houses would have looked like. So the Brady Bunch that's house, Golden that's Girls. Super, Isn't super that weird? weird. Yeah, super weird. Very obscure. But anyway, so I always am curious how these different rooms and things intersect. And so there are actually like people online who will create floor plans based on what – anyway, they took one of basically that idea but how and op- put it – But how often in, can those floor plans not really exist in three-dimensional space? All the time. That's okay. why it's fascinating yeah. to me. And could Jan get in the Greg's room at night, like sneaking through the door? <laughs> door there was like a that? Jack and Jill, I think. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> but the, the to clarify that though, so the Bradyfication was um, add all Discovery talent to that. So they had Richie <laughs> Rawlings build this, and you know they, wow. that's, not, that's very true. The Bradyfication part of that was you take the Brady House and build the Brady House, and you add fifteen Discovery talent to it. Let's do this person interior design, that person doing this. Richie Rawlings building a. a a, the station wagon do this so add like 15 and my series went through that we went through that that thought process because i was right in the middle of 
it was right at the tail end of, of Brady being such a hit. And they're like, can you do Mythbusters? And can we do this? And we were experimenting with lightning and doing all kinds of shit. I mean, it was, it was great. But then we kind of landed on a, a, a really good format that I think we're all really happy with. We're going to start filming next month. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big special. I'm happy to be hanging out with Doc Brown. Um, I love Christopher Lloyd. He's, he's that, I was talking to his wife today. He is, he's a national treasure. Doc Brown is, is amazing. When you get to sit and have lunch with Jim Ignatowski from Taxi, it's mind-blowing. There aren't that many uh, films that stand the test of time like uh, like like that that series did. Well, except for the one where they went back to the old west. That was it. That was weird. Yeah. But <laughs> the original, I mean, the original, even number two were phenomenal. Yeah. And as corny as they were, every child knows them. But is and that every, just because those are our movies? Because I, I feel like half of no. it is like listen. When we grew up, there was so much good stuff like Ferris Bueller and Back to the Future. My kids know Indiana all Jones. And today, it's mostly crap because they're taking a lot of the old things and just, like, recycling them into, like, does anybody not have new ideas for today? I feel like we grew up in the perfect time we did. to have amazing movies. I mean, we had we had John Hughes. But is that only you know? because of us? Like, we're that, we're that age group? No, I think that we had filmmakers back then. I mean, filmmakers back then, you got to remember, they're like, I remember it very well. They're like, they give $4 million to... Um, to George Lucas and it's like, yeah, okay, kid, no one's ever going to watch this thing. Go ahead and put it on. And, you know, they were just like taking these, these passionate guys with this, these amazing imagination. When Bob Gale, Robert Zemeckis were, were wrote the, wrote the screenplay for back to future, they shopped around for years and years. They turned Steven Spielberg down four times to produce it. They said, no, you, you know, you, you did use cars and some other hits. We don't want to be tied to you. And then finally they wrote back and got Steven and Steven got it made at universal, um, which is insane. Uh, now that you, if you say that out loud, but I don't know. I think there was a lot of really good filmmakers back then. I'm, we're lucky. We yeah, we're lucky. Well, I'm not like American Pie was kind of the next yeah. attempt at, at capturing that teen angst. But I think that was good. I think that was still at the 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 end of the run, right? Like I still think that that holds the test of time. But I think uh, you know uh, what's the line? The only thing memorable from that series, like everything in Ferris Bueller is quotable. Yeah. Everything in you know Sixteen Candles is quotable. Like all those films, and then you get to uh, the American by like uh, what's that? Uh, her line about the flute or whatever, where she band camp. Yeah, the band camp. Like that's it. The, the right? one the one the one line you can't repeat that you're trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, what exactly. It is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, okay, we got off on a tangent here. So okay. ba- back to the car stuff, bud. So I'm curious about your involvement in SEMA and the organizations because you're you're legitimately a gearhead now, and you've involved yourself in organizations that promote the gearheadedness. Well, the well-being of the industry. Well, my involvement with SEMA, I've been involved with SEMA for. I mean, they, SEMA has been so good to me over the years, right? Because I, I actually a lot of the end of my shows and rides and some of those stuff ended up at SEMA, and I was I was very lucky to have some of the upper management guys at SEMA just kind of put up with my, shit and I get to be the media guy, and we, you know, we get we get a lot of leeway for craziness and behavior. I, there's no really tag for it, but I'm I'm, I'm kind of the experiential marketing guy. And I do a SEMA and I, I sit down with them all the time. And recently we've been sitting down talking about stuff and creating shows. Um, like we did, you know, we did live overhauling on the SEMA floor and built a car in four days. We built a car two days ahead of time, had a paint booth ahead of time. We did all this stuff. So SEMA is obviously an amazing organization. My relationship with them is absolutely amazing. And they kind of let me do stuff. They come to me and say, hey, you're the TV guy. What would you do here? And that's how we created Battle of the Builders. I mean, Battle of the Builders came out of that. And Battle of the Builders, uh, you know, 
and I, by the way, our truck category is so good, and it was going to be so good this year too. But in our truck category, especially in late years, have been so good, and there's been so many really amazing trucks going through that category. Um, but Battle of the Builders is it's just, I don't know, it's such a prize for what I do to create one of the top car competitions. Not fluffy little car show, but real car competition um, is, is, is been good. It's been good for me. I like it. And then, I, you know, SEMA and I, they're just a great partner. I, I understand what, they, what they're doing for the industry. And it's different than working for a network because the, SEMA, this is something very important. SEMA wants me to say as many names as I can, honestly. And I sit there and watch cuts with all the boards, everybody like, oh, you haven't said enough names. Like, say <clears throat> say Edelbrock and say Dynamat and say BF Goodrich and say Method Wheels. Like, who shocks you there? They want, all they want to do is promote and promote and promote. And then they let me do my thing. They're like, you're a storyteller. Because here's the thing. If I let them produce it, it's going to look like an infomercial. So I battle that very, I battle that a lot because you know everybody's like, it needs to be more like an infomercial. Nope, sorry, not going to look like an infomercial. Here's what it needs to look like because I think people get enough of that. It's still got to be entertaining, entertaining and fun, and people want to know. But there's a way to deliver the information. So yeah, my relationship with SEMA, I I, I cherish it, and they're an amazing organization. Well, to that extent, the the, the relationship that your your shows have had on the aftermarket, so. Both Holman and I are, I work in aftermarket on the daily and Holman deals with aftermarket companies every single day. Um, your shows help prop up that industry. All right, maybe that's not fair to say not prop up, but they- Expose. They expose, yeah, thank you. I mean, whether it's wheels, tires, suspension, talking about shocks, everything to interiors, uh, it really, aftermarket companies that make you know upholstery products or or steering wheels, whatever they're you they're not often that great at getting marketing. So when their products show up on your shows, it's a big deal. Well, it comes down to discoverability, right? It's a noisy space. There's a lot of people that are making a lot of cool things, and there's a lot of different applications for it. So this gets their name out there in a super noisy world. Yeah, and you can also do. You, do you feel like you're the anointer if you say that a certain set of wheels, like you just dropped Method a minute ago, if you say that Method are really good wheels? they're going to sell 500 to 1,000 sets based on your, you know... Unless he says it on the Truck Show podcast, then it's maybe five sets. I'm thinking it's 5,000 sets. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think the shows that we do are catalysts, right? And I, in overhaul, and I'm very lucky that I have Michael Jordan at the helm, right? I have Chip Foose. It's not, it's not me. Remember, I'm the guy behind the scenes manipulating stuff and doing stuff. So overhaul of them became one of those things because we had Chip Foose. If Chip Foose said it's the best tires or this is the best paint, or we used it, people paid attention to that, right? So this, I want to go back to storytelling because this leads me back to storytelling. I would sit with, I walk through with my wife and some other people and people come up to me and go, oh, I love that story about the Boy Scout. And I'd like, I don't know what, I don't know what episode she's talking about. What car was that? Oh, it was the, yeah, 67 Comet. Yeah, I know that car. Guys pay attention to the details. Like my dad will watch the show for exactly that reason. Spark plug wires and wheels and tires and, what paint we're using and what interior we're using. We are a catalyst for the industry, right? We were doing car chip and I would sit there and figure it out like, let's do cars. And then once we got really going, I mean, for many years, a good decade, any company I called any company didn't even matter. Right. Um, that's a very funny. I got another a funny little negative call. I got to give everybody an idea, but any company I would call like, Hey, this is what we're doing. I need this. They would say, yes. And there's also a lot of companies I feel and I've talked to that we've grown up together. Richard from Magnaflow was on almost every single episode. I don't think he's ever missed it. Well, no, he missed the first episode, which is why I found Richard. I think you guys I, you guys helped make Magnaflow a household name. In, in I, I, hope, 
I, I hope we did. I mean, we were, we were definitely early on there early on and we did it because, um, I, I was holding, I was, this is actually pissed me off. I was holding one part of the exhaust on the very first car we did with my hands and the other part crossed with my bottom of my feet. Chip was like near my head with a welder and it was going down on my, my neck. And I'm like, I'm never doing that again. We got to like, who, who do you know that does exhaust? Cause I'm not doing that again, holding on to exhaust. And he's sitting there arguing, like, you know, he's trying to make this thing together. And so Richard came on like after a second or third episode and he's done hundreds of episodes, hundreds of episodes with us. So Magnaflow is an example, um, you know, but there's, you know, John Hotchkiss was down there. We've had so many companies and I'll, I'll give you one example, but um, we had so many companies. I just, this weird little, uh, little guy with glasses, little Mohawk would come on and go, Hey, um, and he'd have this quarter in his pocket. He'd say, I want to show you something. He's, he's a funny little dude. And he'd take this quarter and throw it on the ground and it would ping around. And then he'd take this quarter that had some uh, sticky stuff on it with some tinfoil and he'd throw it on the ground and it would go thud. He goes, I invented this stuff and it's called Dynamat. And I'm like listening to him. And by that time, I'm just super cocky jackass. And I'm like, all right, you made some sound deadening stuff, all right? What do you what do you want? He's like, I want to put it on your car. And this is at SEMA. I'm like, okay, well, here, I'll let here, get this guy a wristband, go put it on the car. So it turned it was the inventor of Dynamat, and he's a super, super cool guy. And I said, Hey, if you want to put your product on, go roll it on. And he started rolling it on. And and I'm not saying we had anything to do with its success, but we had a lot of companies coming to us like we want to do this. We want to try this out. We want to do this. And we would let them. But yeah, there's a lot of companies as, as a catalyst we would allow to do it. But it's really because Chip is that tastemaker. Chip's that once-in-a-generation guy who said, like, we use this stuff. And all of a sudden, all that entire industry would just say, oh, yeah, you got a dynamite at the inside. That's how you get that noise. That's how you get rid of the noise. Did it ever come up where you tried to get a product in the company? You said no. They just didn't get it. They're like, I don't know what's up with your show, and that's uh, that's not our market, and they didn't do it. Because that sounds <laughs> like a bad marketing decision to say no, but there are some companies that don't have the budget to give away product. Or don't believe in the format. That too. Yeah, I, I wish I could keep track, better track of the I told you so's, and I'm sure those companies aren't in business anymore. But yeah, there's probably a couple <laughs> companies that when we called and they would tell us to go pound sand. I don't remember them. I'm not really that bitter about it. I don't really matter. Yeah, but I again, like I said, my 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 attitude is always like, oh, you don't get it. You're stupid, and I just move on to the next one. And I and I would work just that much harder for their competitor to make sure that they get enough promotion. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> Like that jackass term. By the way, Bear Brakes was a huge sponsor of Chips, and I know we helped build that company. I mean, I know Hal Bear very well, and and I know all those guys. Um, yeah, they were they were putting custom brakes on early, super early on, and they weren't that big. So you know, we hope we we helped a lot of people grow in the industry. At what point do you start charging those guys? I mean, they're they're don donating product, come out and wrenching. At some point, you go, well, man, yeah. we've got a pretty big I, audience. I and- think with a lot of TV shows, people realize it's sort of like the year one. It's it's like, oh, we're gonna donate product, and then if the show explodes, it's sort of like, well, what do you want to pay us to be on the show? You know, it, it changes things. Things change over time as success grows. Well, it's not really our, as 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 a producer. When we're doing show for a network. That's not really our. I mean, it's a little different in the magazine world, but that's not really ours. Discovery. You will go after those people and make deals, and that's why that's why overhaul and Keflon become successful because we did we did get that cachet in the industry, and people would pay for it. Um, but we don't charge; we can't charge. Actually, the only thing I can get at the time, early on, I didn't even have to ask permission, and then and after that, I'd have to ask permission. 
and then it got a little crazy with you know because you, you probably do that in the magazine world too is like you know your editor wants to this you want to do a story and your editor won't let you do a story because that guy didn't pay his bill last time or whatever it's there it becomes the politics i would but, uh would not know what you're talking about <laughs> but no idea no. Never, rolling his eyes and pleading the fifth well like famously mtv would all would start putting uh, uh gaff tape on everyone's hat you know yeah. they didn't want to see a nike swoosh or they didn't want to see whatever it was and uh, and they're just like because they weren't getting paid, so they figured, well, if we're not getting a check, and I don't think they even had the staff to reach out to every apparel company, every car company, like they just started putting gaff tape on everything, everything. Yeah. everything. Well, yeah, and that's the salesman mentality is don't give any of it away and I'll sell it all. But then I, I we turn around and like, what are we going to glue this car together? We yeah. need parts. Well, I mean, and and you lose good. you lose authenticity with the audience too, right? Because then they yeah. feel like it's a giant infomercial. Yep. And so, but, but listen, those companies, including big companies, and we were always, would allowed us to be successful in the middle years. You, you kind of grow like that. You know, you, 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 you know, the show becomes commercialized and gets big. And then the some, some sponsors step up and mothers would always sponsor up, step up and BF Goodrich, you know, played the game. They got, they got a lot of stuff early on and then they sat down with a network and they struck a deal and they were our tire sponsor for a, a lot of years. So, and they were chips tile sponsor for a lot of years. So a lot of that really worked. And, you know, we, we can't be so short-sighted, though. It is, it, is, it is commerce. We all want to get paid. And then you kind of look at it it's like, oh, I want to do another season. This is great. And we were just having fun quietly drinking beer and building cars. Hey, uh, you have done a lot of stuff. We've talked about all the TV shows, talked about some of the movie stuff. But you've also done a crazy amount of commercials for companies like Ford, The Home Depot, BF Goodrich. What is that one com- that one commercial that probably everybody has seen, but de- they don't know it's yours? And you know what, Bud? You're not allowed to do everything. You have to, at some point. <laughs> you have to leave some opportunity for lightning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'll take the low hanging fruit. I don't know. You know, it's funny. My company's fairly large, and what you do, and you have a lot of creative people in between shows and stuff like that. I just got to keep. I have always have this thing that I got to feed them, right? So. You know, we did a lot of stuff with Magnaflow. We did a Vaughn Gettin Jr. commercial with Magnaflow, which is absolutely stunning. We have a very talented director, and we did a lot of composite shots. You know, which is composite overlay shot. That yeah, that and Vaughn's been on the show. He's he's a great guy. Oh, that too. that that, that cat's Vaughn. awesome. Good dude. Yeah, when he was with Magnaflow, he's not with Magnaflow now. When he was with Magnaflow, we shot a commercial here that's just mind blowing. You, you can look it up, Vaughn Gettin Jr. Magnaflow commercial, and it is the way that we did the composite shots and look at it, and it's a lot of CGI. Um, of drifting and ghosting, we did a whole, we did one with Arlen Ness the same way. Um, yeah, I don't know if we do any big like Super Bowl commercials. We do a lot of commercials for for people, and I I really do it, and it sounds really crazy, but I do stuff for my my friends and people who support me, and I don't really care about their budget, right? So they know they come to me, and they know that I'm not working for some big agency, and I'm gonna I'm gonna charge them a million and a half dollars. And I really started to do. I'll t- I'll tell you how I got into commercials. I started doing it because. Uh, a lot of my car shows, it's exactly what we were talking about. You know, they would go cut a deal with a network and they said, hey, we have a problem. Like, we just did a deal with the network. They literally robbed us for all of our money and we don't have a commercial. So we have a commercial spot. We bought a bunch of them, but now we can't make a commercial. Can you make us a commercial for cheap? And I'd be like, okay, I'll do it on the weekend. And I'd just get some guys together and we'd come up with a creative concept. And so a lot of the commercials you'll see on some of my shows, I, I did for them because they would do the spend with the network and not have enough money. And then I would do, I would do one for them as a favor. And I've done that my entire career. Um, and yeah, Ford's a big client. BF Goodrich is a huge client. I've done a bunch of stuff with BF Goodrich. Um, 
you know, MagnaFlow and Mothers, and I don't know. We've, we've done a ton, ton of commercials because it's it's production. It's easy for us. What would you do for a uh, little uh, lesser-known podcast uh, <laughs> with no budget? You sure you want to ask <laughs> him that? <laughs> I'm just seeing. You know, I'm, I'm testing him. Well, That's we all. do we do work for the same company. Is that, yeah, is that, does do, that right? work in our favor or against uh, us? Probably against us. Oh yeah, mm. I, I'm totally against you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that what? How would I make you guys a commercial? I could. I can probably make you guys a cool commercial. It'd be better than your than your opening theme, though. Oh come well, on! No, wait, now. Hold on. wait, 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 wait! He's talking about what we open him with. Oh, not no, our show. You, our uh, show theme is fine. Yeah, our show's our show theme is awesome. Have you heard it? No, I, do I have to? No, no, you, you don't. don't. You, you don't. don't. I mean, we should do okay. it anyway, just no, despite no, no, you. No, but... no, no. We're going to make him listen to this episode. <laughs> okay, and, and he'll listen when to it, it comes out, and he's going to have to listen to it. Yeah, okay. he, he might yeah. make it through like thirty seconds of the show and then bail out. Oh, he, he's he's going to be like, yeah, I did that show, never listen. No, to no, it. no. He's going to be rolling calls, you know, to other Hollywood execs yeah. as he's listening. So yeah, he's you like, got to see these guys. Oh wait, they're in audio format. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question for you. How can lightning become successful? No, not that. Okay. Because right. it's never going to happen. Impossible. Uh, where uh, are show, you? He needs to show up on time. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a problem. Where are you on? Let's uh, <laughs> just start right there. Do you consume any YouTube? Are you? Uh, do you find yourself watching any YouTube? And are there any stars or any show concepts on YouTube that you can pluck? Because there are some pretty darn good concepts on YouTube that are created just by dudes in their garage. It's, it's funny. You, you, a lot of people have been doing that early on, like five, six years ago. We used to look to YouTube, you know, the stuff that's working virally. And you look at it and you've got 50 million views. And then we would take those things. You rush to the network and go, whoa, look at this. 50 million people are wa- watching this. And, and that's a little bit of a misleading thing because television, movies, long form content, are, they're not that, that, that crossover. They're not the same users. Right. My son watches TikTok and watches YouTube religiously and doesn't watch TV. There is, it's, it's a great, it's amazing, amazing time. As you guys know, for people who are, you know, to build custom content, cause you guys are making custom content right now about things that people want to hear and people they want to meet. I make a ton of custom content. So it's a great time for us, but I don't think we take those things and, and take the consumers from one, like take, like you just said, take a YouTube concept and then flip it to TV. It does happen. It doesn't happen that often. And the viewers don't follow. You can't like, what do you mean? I got, so you, you always think if I get 5%, if I steal a concept or license a concept and take a concept um, or sample a concept that has 50 million viewers on YouTube, if I get 10% of that over on Discovery, I'm a champion. It doesn't happen that way. I mean, there are two there are different consumers. So I, I produce stuff differently for, for the YouTube and streaming uh, universe, which is, you know, you have to have a different mindset that, that I do with the people on a linear television or discovery channel. I think they're two different consumers and rarely do they cross over. That's a valid answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sorry, you know, it's my true, opinion. It's true though, because we've, we've done research versus our web content versus our social content versus our print content to see what the crossover is. And it truly is a different user in each of those media. There just isn't, you, you find what you like and you tend to stick with that. Yeah, people people consume. I mean, but here's the thing, is which is you just pointed out, like people are consuming content more than ever. You do it when you're riding bikes. I do it when I'm, you know, what you know, eating breakfast and doing emails. There's there's such a consumption going on, and it could be podcasts and viral videos and stuff. Sitting in the doctor's office, which we all apparently have to do every once in a while, you can consume so much content because you're sitting there like an <laughs> waiting for a doctor to come get you or whatever. What used to be, um, now doctor's offices are all closed. Um, and you just consume content. Everybody's doing it every second of the day, um, train rides and, and 
you know, driving to Vegas or whatever happens and people are considering hundreds and hundreds of hours. So it's, 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 a, it's actually exciting. Well, man, I feel like we could spend uh, another hour with you. Yeah, but that's You've why we haven't stories. come back on. I think what we do is once we fix the air conditioning or get it turned on when post-COVID. Then we have him come in? We have him come in. Yeah, because it would be like, you know, he's, better. he's, you know, Always better like he's studio. at home. Yeah. And hey, we're just in El Segundo. Yeah, I'll go. I don't care. I'll go anyway. Yeah. I'm easy. I like that. A lot, right. a lot of good, lot, lot of good stuff going on. And maybe once once I get to that big Discovery special, um, not that it, you know, DeLorean has to do anything with trucks or anything like that, but it's a definitely a, a, a amazing story to tell. Well, we um, we uh, we do about eighty five percent trucks, about fifteen percent everything that we want to do. So it work, works out just fine. And, and we talk food occasionally, all the time. But I mean, the DeLorean is 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 iconic. You, that's universal, right? Like Absolutely. that's that's something all gearheads can can get behind and. Uh, next time you're hunting to be, hit me up, man. I'm I'm literally five minutes from from Chip's shop. Like, just I mean, I'm working from home now. Got nothing better. Than- I'm down. I'm down there all the time. I have a bunch of friends down there. I mean, a friend of mine owns a restaurant down there called Second Floor. He also owns oh yeah, okay. Second so Floor I'm there solid. All the time. Yep. All yeah, right, my well, friend, my friend Kevin owns that place, and so I'm down there all the time. All right, next time I go, I'm going to drop your name to Kevin and see what it gets me. Um, <laughs> Get and, out! <laughs> yeah, and no, uh, do it. No, go to second floor or be okay. Talk to Kevin yeah. Johnson and then tell him, tell him you're a friend of mine and see what he does. He might, he might throw you out or give you a beer, but he's he's a solid, solid dude. Kevin Johnson. Yeah, I've, I think what needs to happen yeah. is next time you're in HB, hit me up, and then I'll tell you, hey. I'll buy you lunch. We'll go to second floor, and neither of us pays. That happens a lot. I have a lot of <laughs> meals there, and Kevin walks up like, "Oh, you took care of it." <laughs> All right, it's, embar- it's actually halfway embarrassing. All and right, I, lunch, I, and I feel like I won't be invited. I feel like that's going to happen. Yeah, well, right home? well, because your day job keeps you from doing anything fun I, like I that. I would come down. What are you doing during the day? Uh, so I work for Gale Banks. I left uh, K Rock after 25 years in 2017 ish. I went to go work for Gail Banks. I was a fan. I built a SEMA vehicle with him and fell in love with what he did. And I'd always been in love with the aftermarket. I'd always built cars and trucks. And his story was amazing. He's been doing it since 1958. So, uh, and he needed some help in uh, in marketing, um, bringing that company, the he, brand, to some new amazing. fans. And he's I love Gail. Yeah, he's 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 phenomenal on camera. He just had uh, a birthday last week. Yeah, he's amazing. He yeah. he should have had a, a, a TV show back in the day. Uh, he could even do it now. Uh, but yeah, the guy the guy is amazing. He's he's truly brilliant, and I, and I love working there. So, but that's that's the day job, and I'm up in Azusa where the 605 meets the 210, which is right next to Huntington Beach, and not there. But I live <laughs> in freaking Long Beach, so I can ride my bike <laughs> to Holman's house. That's true. Yeah. So and I'll I'll clear out a seat for you. Take you down to see, bud. <laughs> All right, well, if you uh, want to see what our, our friend Bud is up to, uh, BCITV.com on Facebook. Well, that's, uh, wait, wait, that's two eyes. Yes. BCII. Yeah, BCII, and at BCII Production on Facebook and on uh, the Instagram. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I feel like we've got a lot more uh, a lot more storytelling to do, so we'll have to have round two. All right, guys, thank you for your, I appreciate it. You got it. All right, we'll talk to you soon, man. Definitely come back on when right. you get the new show. All right, I will. All right, thanks. Later. All right, bye. Holman, at what point into that phone call do you think he realized it wasn't Joe Rogan and he was disappointed to learn it was Holman and Lightning? Uh, I think at hello. <laughs> that early. Yeah, real, real early. Although Bud's such a consummate professional, I think he had his hand on the ripcord and he just didn't pull it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Holman, well, I can see that every single pocket on your pants there is uh, overflowing with notes about what's new in trucks. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know.
lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Ah! You were longer. That's what she said. That's damn right. What's the news in trucks? Well, uh, do you like Silverados? You know I do. Are you interested to know more about the 2021 Silverado? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, GM's not going to tell you anything about it for a couple weeks. <laughs> Dang it! Embargo. However, we do have uh, one piece of uh, news about it, and that is the GMC Multi-Pro tailgate. What about it? Because that's not something that they're willing to share with Chevy. Well, apparently uh, GM and Chevy had an uh, internal dialogue. In, uh, and So wait a minute, a di- quote-unquote dialogue? Yes, this is uh, an actual verbatim transcript of what happened within the halls of the Renaissance Center in uh, downtown Detroit, Michigan. Tell me. Uh, Chevy, we're taking the multi-pro tailgate. GMC, no you're not. Chevy, okay, fine. We created our own thing called the new multi-flex tailgate. <laughs> GMC, okay, you can have that. Chevy, we win. So, wait a minute. Multi-flex tailgate? Yeah, apparently. Not multi-pro, multi-flex. They wanted to change it a little bit so that you didn't know they were the same, and apparently pro-multi didn't sound good. No, pro-multi is something you buy in the home and garden section. I think uh, so. It yeah. grows, grows uh, flowers. Right. Well, wait a minute. It's, they're clearly trying to parlay off the success of the multi-pro and create consumer confusion at the same time. All I'm saying is if you're a Chevy fan, not a GMC fan, and you wanted that tailgate, you can have it in 21. And Chevy uh, promises us more information to come on the 21 Silverado. All right, moving right along to other uh, half-ton news. The all-electric Ford F-150 is, uh, according to Ford, going to be available in mid 22. In fact, Ford is going to build the uh, all-electric F-150 at the Ford Rouge Center in Dearborn, Michigan, next door to where the current F-150 is built. And the company is investing in a $700 million facility right next door. They say it'll create 300 additional jobs. It's a lot of of cheddar. Do you think they'll sell? I don't know. Yes, because it's Ford and, man, I don't know. Are Ford F-150 guys and gals, are they ready for electric? I think yes. Are they going to be happy if Ford offers a giant front trunk on the F-150? Yes, I think so. Okay. What if Because has... Go down this road for, with me for a second. Okay. I think that Ford F-150 fans are more likely to adopt electrification than diesel fans. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but you can get an F-150 diesel. Uh, yes, the three-liter, but... You can also get a half-ton GM diesel. Yeah, low adoption. And I, a half-ton Ram diesel. But that's not really a thing. It's just not yet. But in the half-ton... So are you saying that half-tons are more likely to invest in electric drivetrain than in the diesel drivetrains? Yes, that is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, what if it offered mobile power generation, like the 21 F-150 hybrid that was recently announced? Mobile power regeneration. So, so regeneration, not regeneration. Generation, oh. where you can plug in your power tools and power up a, a job site. Oh, yeah. That's, that cool? that's super cool. Absolutely. What if it had approximately 40% lower cost of ownership compared to the uh, internal combustion models? Now, how's that possible? Because it's got to mm, be more expensive no, to buy. Much lower maintenance costs, though. But is it more expensive to buy? And how much? How long you have to amortize that higher price, right? Stay, over the life of the vehicle. Stay tuned. 
What if it had two electric motors? Uh, dual motor, okay, yes. What if they were more powerful than any F-150 currently available? That's cool. And the fastest truck acceleration and the ability to tow big loads. I mean, it all sounds good. I mean, there's no numbers yet, but that's they're saying that's what to expect. It's Ford. They're going to bring it, I'm uh, sure. Over-the-air updates. And um, Don't you get that with most electric vehicles, over-the-air updates now? It's yeah, kind but of you don't, you're just now starting to get that into most mainstream vehicles. So the fact that it is uh, that the mainstream vehicles are offering that feature and that this will carry forward means that it'll be in line for expectations of electric vehicle owners. So that's the end then of modifying your vehicle then, right? I mean, I don't see why you couldn't put a lift kit and stuff on it. Uh, yeah, you change your tires and uh, the OEs know about it. You change the gear ratio, the OEs know about it. You change anything on that sucker, the OEs know about it. Now, I guess... You wouldn't change gears, right, because it's electric. So what would you do? I don't know, man. You mod it, and they're going to know because they're checking in. That's a tough one. So you think this is the industry killer for the aftermarket? The yeah, beginning of the end. I do. That is so sad. Don't you? But would you need to mod it if it went 0 to 60 in like three seconds? Uh, Yeah, you would. Just, you would just yeah? make it go faster. <laughs> well, What's well, yeah? Because well, at first you think, no, that's wicked fast, but... After you drive around in that for a year, you're like, oh, I feel slow. We're all going to get used to it. I mean, you're used to – you drove around a 702-horsepower truck, and you're like, you got used to it. You're like, oh, I'd love to drive around it. No, you never get used to it. Well, you never you get used know to that's it. You always love true. it. Yeah. I mean, There's always more. I mean, I guess so. Uh, how about the 22 GMC Hummer coming out? Okay, Pretty yes. soon. Uh, did you see that they were teasing the crab mode where – it could uh, drive at an angle like a cr- the way a crab walks as a teaser for what's to come. That is super cool. Which uh, truck was it, the electric truck that- Rivian that had the tank turn. Oh, that t- tank turn was super cool. Uh, crab mode is going to be uh, available on the Hummer, and uh, it will have four-wheel steering capability and 1,000 horsepower. What kind of torque? I mean- One million torque. <laughs> if it's got 1,000 000- Brake horsepower, what the hell with the torque? I mean, 4,000 pounds? I don't know. I don't know. I just see- At zero RPM? I see you joints screaming <laughs> and, and straining in, in sheer fear. All right, moving right along in other half-ton news. Uh, if you remember Ram's military built-to-serve models. Yeah, I do. Uh, the latest one is the Air Force. Ooh, does it come with uh, wings? Or does it come with like those long uh, uh, center caps, you know, like that people put on Cadillacs that stretch out into like the other lanes? I don't think so. All I can tell you is that they will only make 2,000 of them, so get your orders in now. Does it come with a flight suit and goggles? Uh, I'm sure you could probably order those. Okay, good. All right, we're done with half-tons. We've enough half-ton news. Nobody cares about half-tons anymore. Give me some one-ton news. (laughs) I don't have any one-ton news, but I do have the fact that the 2021 Land Rover Defender 90 short wheelbase version is now available. Okay. Do we have a price on it? Yes, the uh, price will start at 46100 Oh, that's lower than I would have expected. And the first edition Defender 90 models will start at, still reasonable, 64100 And the top spec Defender 90X comes in with an $80,050 price tag. All right, that's more in line with what I would expect. So, of course, these are the two doors. Uh, the four doors have been out uh, for the, the past, uh, I don't know, six, nine months or so. And uh, what's funny is... Defender 90 stood for a 90-inch wheelbase. 
And 110 stood for 110-inch wheelbase. Did not know that. And uh, these have neither. They decided to go with Defender 90, <laughs> and the wheelbase is much longer. So. Okay. Anyway, just uh, marketing department. So this, uh, giggle. so I want you to start calling me Thin J from now That's on. That's right. I yeah. should call you Size Small. Yes. So, I mean, you, oh, you got no one-ton news for me? All right. I have one story. Head over to trucktrend.com where the guys just drove a 2020 mm-hmm. Chevrolet Silverado. Yes. 3500 yes. HD. Regular cab. Okay. Short wheelbase. Keep it coming. Dually. Yes. Diesel. What? Okay, hold on. That sounds like a unicorn vehicle. In a work truck trim. Okay. How? So this is- I've the, never seen one of those. Uh, nobody has. how they get Except for the guys it? at Truck Trim. They know people. <laughs> so uh, using a gooseneck hitch, uh-huh. this is the truck that Chevy has that tows a class leading 35,500 pounds. That would be fun to drive. I mean, it's like the sports car of dualies. Is there? How do you get your hands on one? Can you special order one? Do you suppose? Yeah, of course you can order, but no dealer's going to stock that truck. How about this? That truck? Can you guess the payload? Okay, a, pay- a payload. Uh, Thirty-three hundred pounds. Six thousand three hundred and fifty <laughs> pounds. Over a ton. In the bed. <laughs> and if you wanted to tow with a fifth wheel, 32,000 pounds, or a conventional bumper pull, mm-hmm. 20,000 pounds. <laughs> if you want to see this pickup truck ridiculousness, uh-huh. head over to uh, trucktrend.com where they did a full review on it. And I heard there might be more to come in this configuration that we can talk about in the future. Are you telling me there's a sport truck coming? That's not what I'm telling you at all. Oh, what do you, I'm just what do you saying, mean? no, there's just, there's, we'll talk about it when it's time. God, Talk about it yet. Damn you. I mean, I can't help what I can't that talk about. That sounds like a super dope badass truck. It's, uh, come on, it's a... A single cab. Yes. Dually. Yeah. Max tow. 10 speed. L5P. Yes. Work truck. Super yes. light. Yes. 35, do you have anything that weighs 35,500 pounds? My belly. No, that's payload. Oh, I see. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know if you saw on uh, fourwheeler.com or across the internet, Ford teased an image of a fully camoed 2021 Bronco on their social account saying, testing, testing, is this thing on with a little microphone? And it shows it about, uh, I don't know, 8 to 12 inches off the ground flying, which if you see... What I see, which is a completely different rear suspension with links. Do you see what I see? Big aluminum lower control arms, extended steering, way more travel and what looks to be 37-inch tires. This can only be what we would guess is the Ford Bronco Raptor, or as we uh, like to call it, the Braptor. Mm-hmm. Or could this be the Warthog, which is a uh, trademark Ford recently filed for? So is it going to be a Braptor? Or is it going to be a warthog? They're not going to. They're not going to call it a raptor. Well, that's that's our nickname for yeah. it. Is it the Bronco Raptor or is it going to be called Warthog? We don't know. It's Ford. Uh, warthog is too ugly sounding. No, oh, I think it's mean. It is mean, but it's yeah. not. It's not attractive. Warthogs are not. It's not like it's a badger where a badger is cutish, but but fierce. The warthog is just ugly. No, it's awesome. He's just ugly. A ten. A ten warthog. 
Yeah, I know. Ugly. Awesome. No, but ugly. By the way, it also makes brap noises as it fires its giant uh, Gatling gun off its I'm nose. I'm not saying it's not fierce. I'm saying it's just a, not a- So you're saying this isn't the warthog that they just recently filed the patent for, or the trademark for. You're saying that this is the Bronco Raptor and that's what they're sticking with. I, I couldn't possibly know. I don't have a clue. I, I would I would prefer Bronco Bronco Raptor as opposed to Warthog, but if they file the trademark. But a lot of you know, trademarks get filed all the time and don't sure get do. used. So that's why I'm I'm just posing the question. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll anyway, find out. Pretty cool to see their uh their teaser be a fully camoed uh, truck flying through the air though. I think that's awesome. Now, if it does come with thirty seven inch tires, these appear to be uh BF Goodrich KO twos, uh that's a bigger tire than the Raptor. So does that mean the Braptor will be better than the Raptor? What if it has more travel? Are you muddying the waters by having a lighter, smaller, more nimble? And then what happens with the uh, the Ranger Raptor that's supposed to come over? How many people are going to sell their Raptors in favor of a uh, new Bronco? I bet a lot. People who don't need a full-size pickup truck and want something more compact for parking and around town and stuff, who mm-hmm. want the performance or the, the name cachet of a Raptor but don't need the uh, that size. Do we know the max tire size on the uh, the Ra- the Bronco? Uh, Thirty-five inch right now, which is the same as the Raptor. So the flying one, I would imagine, will have uh, larger tires. Got it. So they're either thirty-fives or thirty-sevens. I think they kind of look like thirty-sevens. What do you think it's going to take to get forties under there? Uh, I mean, a lift. lot. Yeah. Oh, a lot. Do you think so? Hmm. The IFS is going to hurt in that regard. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as easy to uh, lift a Bronco to fit 40s as it is a, a JT or a JL. So, gotcha. I don't know. Guess we'll uh, guess we'll find out when they come. Lots uh, lots to unpack and uh, uncover still on the Bronco lineup. And uh, guess we'll we'll know when we know. Guess we'll know when we see it. I'd rather not wait if you don't mind. Can you tell me now? Nope. Oh, I think it's time for some inbox. All right. You email, yeah, I email, do it, we email, that's right, everybody email, type it up, you email, proofread, I email, send it, we email, click it, everybody email. I, who's going first, amigo? All right, I'll start. All you. All right. So this first email is coming from Edward, and uh, Edward says, Hey guys, great podcast. Uh, Jay, uh, that's interesting, calls me Jay. I've been listening to you for years, since the early days of Kevin and Bean, marrying you and your driving off in a monster truck. I'm getting so old, I might be mixing up a few details. So this is crazy. Uh, this will interest you. Uh, as a old Kevin and Bean K-Rock listener, Ed, the, uh, the jingle you just listened to was recorded by Mr. Omar Khan, who is uh, still with K-Rock. One of the few. <laughs> One of those few still there, yes, as they uh, proceed to fire everyone. <laughs> so I have a 2018 GMC Sierra Denali, he says. I want to put on the leveling kit to straighten it out a little bit and some 33s. Do you have any recommendations for shops in the San Gabriel Valley or Los Angeles? I live in San Gabriel, work in Pasadena. Also, I'd love to hear your recommendations for brands on leveling kits, rims, and wheels. And that's from Ed. All right, so leveling kits. First thing, uh, I'm a fan of BDS. That's a uh, a great economical kit. There are so many on the market. I don't know if they have if they have one for the, is it a half ton or a three quarter ton? He doesn't because that'll say. make a difference because the three quarter tons are going to be torsion bars yep. and the half tons are going to be coilovers. And so, so depending, I know some of them have adaptive ride control on the fifteen hundreds, so you might want to look at zone. 
uh, for a more economical one. That's a, a company, a sister company to BDS, if BDS doesn't have one. I believe Skyjacker offers something, Ready Lift, uh, Rough Country. So you have a few options out there. Most of them are going to be very similar in how they level. I would go with the one that offers the best shocks. I agree with your uh, shock comment. And if you have torsion bars, you can just get a set of uh, torsion keys. Now, the ride's going to get a little stiffer, but it's, you're only going up an inch or so, two inches, so you'll be fine. And as far as uh, rims and, God, uh, I, there's so many to choose from. I'm partial to... Uh, well, there's only a couple companies that own all the wheel companies in the world now. So, yeah, so here's what you do. You go to Wheel Pros, and then you... Uh, you find a brand. Man. Or you go to Method. Yep. Or if you want something forged, go to Weld. Or if you want something billet, go to oh, American oh, Force. Oh, oh, hold on a second. If you don't want to look like everybody else, you go to Black Rhino. Because all right. Black Rhino's got some pretty sick wheels, some brand new ones. Aren't they a uh, sister brand of TSW? They are owned by TSW. Yes. So, yes. If you want to look at some unusual, go to... Again, if they're too weird for you, then you can... <laughs> Go to your fuels and your. The, the problem is we don't. Yeah, we don't know what your design preference is or your styling aesthetic. Uh, so there's a gazillion wheels, lots of good companies. Uh, all the cast wheels are basically made in Taiwan and China. There aren't any, uh, except for a very small amount made here in the U.S. because all the tooling's over there. Um, if you want an American-made wheel, then you have to step up to the forged wheels and billet wheels. Here is proof that F-150s are modified. 2019 3.5 EcoBoost, two-inch leveling kit, Shelby 20 by 9 wheels, 305, 55, 20 miles star Patagonia MTs, Laverne Grill Guard, Flow Pro 4-inch, stainless steel, Boomba blow-off valve adapter, and patiently waiting for the Banks Derringer to come out. And he sent a picture of his truck, uh, one photo for each one of those parts to prove to you that you are wrong, and F-150s are modified all over the world. I am not saying, nor have I ever said that there are no modified F-150s. I'm saying that the percentage of F-150s that are modified for enjoyment purposes, not roof racks for ladders. That's a lot of caveats. Dude, I've been saying it since the beginning. And our listeners disagree with you. I'm just saying that there uh, there are, it's the number one truck on the planet. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm saying that, uh, look around you. And I'm saying you're wrong. And so are our listeners. Listeners? Listeners. Home and stay out of for a second. They Listeners, are listening to you saying you're wrong. When you are driving down the highway, uh-huh. look around you, uh-huh. and of the one fi- the F one fifties that you see, what is the percentage that is modified? Seventy five percent. Are you serious? Yes. I'm saying less than fifteen percent. You are so wrong. You are so wrong. Less than fifteen percent. I would say over seventy five percent of F one fifties are modified in some way. Mm. Might be a Pet Boys stick on grill. Chrome badge or a 4x4 sticker, might be leveling kit, might be a badass turbocharger kit, doesn't matter. That's a modification. Majority, vast majority of F-150s are modified. Nope. Agree to disagree. I will not agree to disagree. I will just disagree and have my friends at the uh, Truck Show Podcast uh, listener base write in, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Somebody's got to back me up. All right, you know what I'm going to do? Hmm. I'm going to call my good friends over at SEMA and have them run me a vehicles and operation report. Do it. And then find out how many are modified. And then you're going to bury it when I you find out it. that you are so wrong. Hell no, I'm going to come in if 15, I'm wrong. Less than 15% is what you said. 15%, yeah. If I if I come in and I'm 15% wrong. 15% or less then? 15 or less. Okay. 15 or less. All right. So if it's 16, I lose. Okay. All right. And I, I got news for you guys. If I'm wrong, I will say, hey guys, I'm wrong and here's the No, we the want data. more than that. 
No, you don't get yeah. to start making up rules. Yes, if you're wrong, you have to go put a exhaust system on somebody's F-150. Make them happy. Out of your own pocket. What? Yeah, you have to you you have to help an F one fifty get modified just despite yourself. I know no, I don't like this. Why? Because you're so wrong. Now if you said fifty percent five oh, then I that's an argument. But fifteen percent you are so on the wrong side of history here that you have to you have to have automotive reparations. By giving an exhaust system to a needy F-150. Oh, and, I, and I'm not – and by the way, I'm drawing the line of like stereo. That doesn't count. No, you can't like say – You can't, no. you can't it's say – It's a modification. No. It's a decent no, modification. No, a stereo is not a decent it, modification. No, it's not. It can't. You can't say only 15% are modified, but it doesn't include uh, truck beds, racks, stereos, stickers, tires – Wheels, suspension, no, I'm for, exhaust. For recreational lift. purposes. Oh my God. I am. Ex- How is SEMA going to track your caveats when you pull the report? They're not. That's exactly. The I know. <laughs> you're, you're wrong. You're so far. I feel good about being if right. If you said 50, they would be like, all right, that's an argument. Here's the issue that I have a lot of times on this podcast uh-huh. is that I'm unable to articulate my feelings. Okay? <laughs> that's a you issue. It is a me issue. Okay. I'm aware of that. Okay. But what I'm saying is, it's a visual thing for me. All right, so I'm, it's a visual thing. And by that is, I'm not counting Linex. I'm not counting stereo. But you should. Not, Those no, are I'm all not. modifications. SEMA counts them. Well, then I can't use their data. <laughs> exactly. All right. No. You can't, it can't be, you can't tell the listeners only 15% according to the criteria of what I see out of my eyes and my brain. It, so nobody can, I, so I nobody ha- can or wants to put themselves then in I, your th- shoes. Then I need to write up a list of qualifiers. <laughs> I have to. How will you? It would be suspension, wheels, tires, engine mods, things like that. Okay, and the guy just put five thousand dollars stereo system in. That would count. <laughs> would count. Tint. Uh, tint counts. <laughs> tint counts. I. How's that any different than somebody who? Ugh. I'm moving on. Yeah, Truck do Show so. Podcast at gmail.com. Please, I'm not reading your email. Please, somebody email that I am not the only one in this room who is completely flabbergasted by uh, by my man lightning here. Labor Day weekend. I uh, got this uh, one from Max Twadell. Actually, this is your turn. I'm stepping on you. I'm going to read it anyway. I'm, 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 we're well, the email. No, whatever. I'm just going for it. Go for it. I don't care. Hello again, guys. I wrote in about the transmission in the RAM a month ago, and you guys read it on the podcast. Thanks. It was really cool. Also, Holman said he was going to a wedding in the Silverton Telluride area, which is my neck of the woods. We just did Cinnamon Pass a couple weekends ago in the 97 Expedition, camped in the back, and hiked Handy's Peak. Anyways, I don't want to intrude on your vacation, but was wondering if I could have the honor of meeting Holman while he's here. Not sure if you were planning on coming through Durango at all, or I would be willing to meet you uh, wherever, if that's possible. Again, I don't want to be a hassle or take up vacation time. Let me know. Thanks, Max. And, uh... You do not need to meet Holman. That's a total downer, buzzkill, waste of time. Uh, Max, I uh, unfortunately would have loved to have met you. We were a little bit of a tight schedule running around and doing all the things we did, but uh, I just uh, printed out emails today, and I've been back for a week and a half. I apologize for missing you, but uh, I'll let you know next time I'm in the area, and maybe we can meet up, but uh, my only rule is uh, you have to buy me a beer. That's fair, right? Wow. Honda Ridgeline is the subject line from Chad. Now, Chad says, I just thought I'd share a photo I took in Chelsea, Michigan a couple weeks ago. 
This is a Honda Ridgeline towing an excavator. Still not a truck, but definitely doing a truck's job. Keep up the great work. You guys keep me entertained while running these CNCs here. I don't know where here is, but he's running CNC machines, which is rad. Is his name Jason Gonderman, the world's largest Honda Ridgeline apologist? No, his name is Chad Like. Ah, uh, sounds like a, a, a pseudonym for Jason Goderman. There can't There's be two of them out there. There's a lot of photos here of this truck doing some work. Uh, Thank you for the email, by the way. Got this one from uh, Jeffrey Parker Brown. Follow-up, he says, uh, Hey, guys, now that the new Bronco's been unveiled, can you have Jonathan Ward back on to talk about your story with it? I'm only assuming that's what he was alluding to in episode 62. Jeff Brown. Uh, 62 is a long time ago. And uh, I'm sure he was alluding. I don't think we can quite talk about that yet, but when the time comes, I think we will probably talk about it. Hey, guys, I've got a quick question about suspension. Okay, maybe for Holman, since Lightbright obviously has no suspension in his truck. Laugh out loud. So I've got a 1991 Dodge D350 Cummins. Hashtag the G is silent. Dually. And I'm working on it and wondering where I can get some new stock-style leaf springs and coil springs since the original ones are sagging quite a bit. Also, who makes a good quality shock for those old trucks? Thanks for any help and keep mounting those parameters and yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy! Mounter, monitor, key, engine, parameters. Holman, I don't have the faintest idea uh, other than our friends at either Deaver or Atlas for the uh, leaf springs, who do you suggest for the coils? Yeah, so uh, I think Deaver can make you a set of leaf springs that would match the factory. Uh, I believe that if you were to go to uh, Rock Auto or AutoZone and look up Moog, M-O-O-G, uh, they do have the constant rate coil springs available, the direct replacement. And uh, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I do believe they're less than 300 bucks for the pair, brand new. Well, that's a bargain. Should be pretty easy to find. And uh, just make sure that you spec them for the Cummins because they're quite a bit stiffer than the, uh, the gas model. Uh, but the springs are out there. It's got to be uh, several hundred pounds heavier, right, that engine? Oh, yeah. A thousand pounds? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. Don't get the gas springs. Yep. Is what we're saying. Guest ideas. Subject line from Alex Fritton. Holman and Lightning, in parentheses. I wrote it that way just to hear Lightning squirm if you read this on the air. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks. So I wrote you guys a while back about uh, the Gala Sode. I thought you'd never read the email, but now that I've listened to all of the episodes <laughs> and I'm now listening over again, what? Why? I don't. I can't even wrap my head around that. So I was happy to hear you read my email. I mentioned how I put a Banks product on my Silverado at altitude and hearing Lightning stick his foot in his mouth about performance at altitude before hearing I've used Banks was priceless. Don't know what he's talking about. As I suggested in the he subject- He wrote in previously. You don't remember that email? No, I don't. But what did I, how did I put my foot in my mouth? I mean, I, I do it all the time, but yeah, that time- I wasn't tracking them. I don't have a sheet. I just remember the- You don't have an Excel spreadsheet no, for all the times? No. And, uh, times and dates? Yeah, and, and timestamps? Yeah. No. I wonder what he's talking about. Huh. Uh, who's that from? Alex? Britton? Yeah. Alex, Alex just send, send us the timestamp and we'll play it on the air. Yeah, that's fine. As I suggested in the subject line of this email, here's an idea. You guys should get Steve Dulcich on the show. Currently binge-watching Roadkill Garage. Thanks for all the great content. You guys are rad. Lightning. It's easy to bust your balls, but seriously, thanks for the phenomenal audio. Only podcast worth listening to. Five stars, gentlemen. Five star review. Five stars. 
Thank you very much for the uh, email, Alex. I don't know why or how I put my foot in my mouth, but I'm sure that I did it. And uh, sorry. <laughs> All right, one last one here from Eric. It says, Street Legal 2 Buggy. Hey, guys, I just recently started listening to podcasts due to driving a lot for work and getting bored with music all the time. I've been an avid gearhead my entire life, so I was searching podcasts for informational shows. I searched for a long time, or it sure seemed like it, and mostly only found shows that talked about going on trips or very vague technical stuff. I was pleasantly surprised when I came across the truck show, even though I almost immediately changed the channel after the intro. <laughs> you guys have uh, great guests and intellectual conversations with them. Not each other, just our guests, uh, which I appreciate. Curry, Banks, and Kaufman are some of my favorites. I also appreciate your interaction with the audience. People ask questions. You take the time to answer or forward to someone that can. Very cool. I recently have gotten into Jeeps and am fairly disappointed with how much money you can easily get wrapped up into a TJ to make it reliably wheel 38-inch tires. Uh, yeah, Jeep stands for just empty every pockets, didn't you know? So while scrolling through some classifieds, I run across some complete... Thank you, I'll be here all night. I run across some complete rock bouncer tube buggies for sale for way less than I would have in modifying the Jeep, but my concern is keeping it street legal-ish. I don't ever plan on driving a bouncer down Main Street in Columbus, Ohio, but... Also would like to be able to go trail to trail without having to worry about being hassled for being on the road. The buggy I'm looking at was originally a Bronco with a title. Do you think it could be registered as a Bronco in Ohio and have a license? P.S. Keep on mounting them parameters. Master monitor key engine parameters. Thanks for any input. And again, that was from Eric. And I would say I don't know what the rules are in Ohio. I'm sure uh, we have some listeners that can probably uh, raise their hands. I would say that if it's a buggy... But it was once titled as a Bronco, and it still has part of the cab and the VIN plate and is emissions compliant where you're from, and you have mud flaps to cover the tires and has all the lighting, then yes, I would imagine you probably can register it. Uh, there's lots of people who know how to do it, and some states are less strict than others. But we live in one of the worst states for it, so you don't see a whole lot of that here. And so we would be horrible at giving you advice of uh, what you could do in Ohio, but I would imagine you probably could. Thank you, everybody, for your email. We really appreciate it. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. That is truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. We read every single one of them off the air, and then we select a few to read on the air. We did not play any five-star hotline calls, which we are, we're idiots, morons. Uh, you should be upset with us that we didn't, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't call and leave a great message right now. 657 205 6105. 657-205-6105. It is the five-star hotline. If you can't remember the number, just go to our Instagram, at Truck Show Podcast, hit the call button, and it will dial us up and you can leave a message. Now, here's the thing with the messages. I would also like some know your notes. And what a know your note is, that's where you record your exhaust note. And then Holman and I try to guess what engine you have. It's been, uh, it's been a few weeks since we've done that, and I'd love to hear some. We'd love to guess because we're absolutely awful. We're horrific at it, but it's a, it's a fun time. So use your voice notes on your phone and then just email it to us or leave it on the five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. Holman, if you're cool with it, I'd love a little truck review action. Well, I got one. Truck review. Yeah. Rolling, rolling, dragon truck nuts. Uh. uh. Oh, super. I mean, what happened? We both just like- We forgot. We phoned it in. No, we forgot. Because oh, yeah, I was thinking this isn't the one where we do it at the same time. It is, though. It is. Should we do it again? Yeah. All right. Truck review. Yeah. Rolling, rolling, dragging truck nuts. Ah!
was, was pretty there's solid. a symbol in the background. What was that? What that? Why was there a symbol? I don't. I don't even Did know. Did you what hit a button? There. No, I didn't touch anything. It sounded weird. I I can't even. I don't know, dude. The board that I mix <laughs> on is all fuzzy. Something weird happening over the, there. Yeah, uh, the compressor is is honking up. And We're having. I'm issues. just listen, listen to me. I'm distorted. No, you're fine right now. Am I? Yeah. Don't draw attention to it because okay. listeners will go. It's God yeah. damn. We, we have nice gear, but it's dying on us. Well, I mean, we're all in a hot room. Maybe we all just need to be chilled maybe out. It's, maybe it's because it's 111 in here. All right. Well, let's end the show after this review. So you're so uh, you cool got a off. Gladiator Diesel. Is that correct? Yep. All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, what? Give me the review. You have to. We have to play it. Oh, I need to give you this. Sorry, here you go. Let me hand you that so you can play the audio. And I'm ready when you are. So for everybody out there who's been uh, waiting for the uh, Jeep Gladiator diesel to come out, I had a chance to drive it uh, last week. So here we go. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am in a 2021 Jeep Gladiator. So what's so special about this? Well, maybe you can uh, hear. I don't know if you can hear that quiet engine, but this is actually the Eco Diesel model. And we're out in California on some twisty canyon roads we're gonna go for a quick test drive now this is the uh, same three liter turbocharged direct injected v6 that you can find in the wrangler jl 260 horsepower 442 pound feet of torque i'm holding the phone so it doesn't fall off the dash here now you're looking at about a six thousand dollar premium over a standard uh, Gladiator JT, so you figure 4000 for the diesel engine and also $2,000 because it forces you into an automatic. It's uh, no manual option. This is the ZF8HP75, which is a, a great uh, great automatic transmission. I mean, it feels great. Great acceleration, not a lot of turbo lag, and then listen just how quiet it is. I mean, it does sound kind of noisy, but I, I realize that's your I'm microphone. I'm sure you can probably hear more wind noise than you can hear engine noise. Yeah. It's got a little bit of that diesel growl, but nothing offensive i think uh, diesel people will probably appreciate it it's really smooth not a whole lot of different nvh feel maybe a little bit of uh, that kind of you know growly dieselness you got to remember too that the uh, phone is up against the windshield because I, I created a video while i was uh, in the vehicle so i figured i would start doing these like five minute vehicle reviews and so it's picking up a lot of the wind noise that's coming. But it's not a super quiet vehicle from wind anyway. I feel like we need to explain NVH every single time you say it because no. that's just not a common thing. It just, absolutely is. It's not because dudes who aren't in media or in the truck world don't say NVH. Sure they do. No. Yeah. They don't. Yeah, noise, vibration, harshness. Thank you. Again, I think uh, I think most people would appreciate that if you're a diesel fan. Now, Jeep's saying 28 miles per gallon highway, 22 miles per gallon in the city, which is uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, great range. I think that uh, you know anybody who has a Wrangler or JT getting over 20 miles per gallon would be great. You're getting almost 30. Pretty impressive. Now, the only thing that people might uh, be a little bit you know uh, disappointed in is the tow rating. 6500 for the Overland, which we're in now, or Sport, 6000 for the Rubicon. And that's not because of the diesel's capability that has everything to do with thermal management. So if you look at that, you know, Jeeps have that narrowed front end and the seven slot grill only has so much airflow in it. And behind that grill, which actually is wider than a Wrangler, uh, the slats anyway, the openings, um, is the air conditioning, the radiator, as well as the, uh, the intercooler. I just waved at another glad here going by. 
And so there's a lot of stuff going on in that cooling stack and only so much air they can push through it. So in order to keep things from uh, getting too hot when you're towing, they've had to, uh, to rate it at 6,000 or 6,500 depending on the model. Now, we're up in the, uh, in the canyons, and one of the things I really like about the JL and JT platform is how well it handles, how, how well and how flat it attacks the curves. You don't get that you know, really loose off-road suspension sort of like floppiness or sloppiness. It handles really flat. The engineers worked hard to make sure that roll center was really low and that the vehicle would corner flat. So the idea being, you will take your you know gladiator maybe up a twisty mountain road to get your favorite trail you're not going to hate that experience because the the car so difficult to drive going up you know in those twisties and and that's nice to have a vehicle that you know handles well as well as accelerates well and, and good fuel economy so they're really hitting uh, you know all the points with the new uh, jt eco diesel and uh, i gotta tell you i'm pretty impressed with it we've just been uh, driving it up and down these canyons and you know, handling is great and, and the diesel is really responsive. So I think anybody who is uh, interested in these will uh, be pretty happy when they pick one up. You just have to decide if that $6,000 premium is, is worth it. You know, obviously you have to uh, have def fluid and you know, all that kind of good stuff that goes along with the modern diesel these days. So it's gonna be a little bit different than a gas experience, but the power sure is nice climbing up these hills. So there you have it. That's it for the uh, 2021 Jeep Gladiator Eco Diesel, quick drive. Thanks for coming along and driving with Sean. So, as I watched this, I so desperately wanted a uh, an evil clown to lift his head up out of the back seat and just scare the crap out of you. Maybe that should be the shtick. I'll just every uh, road test that I do, an evil clown will pop up in behind me and something. And maybe I'll get closer to death every time. Oh yeah. Now I don't want you to take out someone on the freeway with you. You know, like I don't want you to start swerving all around because you're dead. And you're, you're still behind Did the wheel. Do you actually want me to die or just uh, yeah, be an act? At some point, yeah, I eventually want oh, them okay. to kill you. Yeah, okay. of course. Right. That would be, the progression. But then who's going to do the uh, reviews? I will. Okay. Yeah. You still uh, you still need to do one. Yeah, no, not really. Yeah. No. Weren't you supposed to review something and you didn't? Uh, I did. I reviewed a uh, Nissan. Right. Yeah. Poorly. Was, yeah, poorly. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to do it again. I mean- uh, man, mad props to uh, to Nissan for letting me borrow the Titan, and I had a great time in it. But uh, I'm just not a good reviewer. Yeah, all right. I, I, now I'm, I'm, a good, I'm a good like, yeah, I'll enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I'll sure. enjoy yes, the you will. crap out of a Titan. You kidding me? Yes, you will. Oh, it's good times right there. All right, so before we end the show, I just wanted to uh, dedicate this episode to a friend of mine who was uh, the former Ram chief engineer. His name was Mike Cairns. He uh, passed away on September 7th, and he's only 58 years old. Great guy, uh, super hard worker. As you know, the last generation Ram is is the truck that really made Ram relevant again in the marketplace. He was very proud of it. And uh, when the Ram Heavy Duties broke uh, the torque record, it was his baby. And part of that was managing all that airflow in the front of it. And I think I've told this joke before, but I have to attribute it to Mike because uh, it's one of my favorite stories from him and just thought it would be nice to, to honor him on the Truck Show podcast since there's so many Ram owners out there who uh, are enjoying the fruits of his labor and his team's labor. Uh, but the first time I saw the, I, I guess it was probably, so in either 2015 or 2016 when Ram took the crown for best-in-class torque uh, with the Cummins at 900 pound-feet, uh, Mike was really proud of that. And uh, we were talking one day, and we were at a, a media thing, and a bunch of uh, uh, journalists were there, and he kind of pulled me aside, and he says, Hey, Holman, check out the uh, check out all the cooling on the front of this this truck. You know, we had to put this radiator here. It's massive. It's so many square feet, and we have this. And, you know, it was going through everything, and he was super proud. He goes, you see our charge air cooler down there? I said, yeah. He goes, 
we're really proud of that. I go, yeah? He goes, we call it our low-hanging cack. <laughs> so, See what he did there? Yeah. So anyway, char- charge, charge air cooler. CAC. <laughs> That's yes, right. CAC. And so uh, that was a, you know, just a fun- uh, a, Intercooler, like, as many would intercooler, say. Intercooler, right. Yeah. And uh, just, just one of those fun moments where, you know, you've got friends in the industry and, and as a journalist, you get to a point where they trust you and they can loosen up around you and you have kind of fun with- you know what they've been working on, and and uh, Mike and I for many years talked about all sorts of things like the power wagon. And so you spent enough time together that uh, you could tell cack jokes. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, very very sudden for him to pass away. Uh, super sad about it. Great guy, and I just wanted to uh, honor him a little bit here on the Truck Show podcast, and definitely going to miss him. And would he have wanted you to tell a cack joke? I think he absolutely would have been okay with it. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Right. So on that note, uh, I think we can end our show. Let us know what you think. As always, give us a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. Send us an email. We'll read it on the air. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. And he's at LBC Lighting. I'm at Sean P. Holman. And together we are at Truck Show Podcast on all your favorite socials, except for that other one where we're just at Truck Podcast. And uh, don't forget to leave us a five-star hotline message, 657-205-6105, and tell us what you think. We'll play you on the air. (laughs) She ran out of steam right there. I wasn't sure what to say. I was looking at you. I thought maybe you were going to jump in. I was going to chime in. Listen, no, I've said 657-205-6105 like 100 times throughout the show. Yeah, but we always say it at the end. Ah, Well, we're going to do it again. Here's where we talk about Nissan. Five-year, 100,000-mile warranty, the best in the business on the Titan, the Titan XD. And the Frontier. Did you like how I did I that Frontier? Well, why? why? Well, I should have put on like the Echo or something. Okay. You know what I mean? Like Frontier. Yeah, you know, let me try it again. Like, frontier. No, no, I didn't have no, the echo. no, no. Let me try it like You're this. on the wrong pot. No, let's go like Frontier. Frontier. Like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 3.8 liter, 9-speed <laughs> automatic. Check out that new drivetrain that's the precursor to the 2021. And then also, uh, can't forget the Nissan Titan and Titan XD with the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. I said that already. (laughs) I'm saying it again. Hey, you know what's funny is uh, people who bought their trucks at the beginning of our show are still under warranty now. Unless they went over 100,000 miles. That means we haven't been doing it long enough. So we got another, we got this show needs to go at least five years, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you take it off the Echo? What are you doing? Well, you don't like it? No, it's horrible. What's wrong with it? Everything. I'll turn that off. All right. All right. Gosh, that's awful. All right. All right. Hey, you guys have great sound. Stop. <laughs> what are you, why are you sitting so far over there? Could you put the freaking... People don't like when you mess with the audio. I'm not messing with the audio. Stop. No, there's you're nothing a, wrong with the you're audio. You're literally a 14-year-old pushing there's buttons. There's nothing wrong with the audio. See, what you guys don't understand is that we have a piece of equipment that's failing, mm-hmm. and Lightning is throwing a tantrum. But instead of <laughs> kicking things, he's screwing them with all the buttons and knobs. Could you put it back to normal, please? All right. Here we go. <sighs> there you go. There you go. Not better. <laughs> I'm literally done with you and the show. Uh, we have to talk about Decked. Now, Decked is put a- Put it back to normal. Nobody wants to hear the show like this. Is that better? No. <laughs> What's wrong with you? All right, all right, here we go. There. 
Now we're in both your and ears. And gee, I wonder why everybody <laughs> is wondering about how, yeah, how horrible the show is. Here's the thing about decked. You need a deck system for your truck or your van. Or a D-bag for your back. Uh, or, or that too. Or D-bag is your co-host. Well, everyone's got a D-bag for a uh, Everybody host. has a D-bag in their life, but uh, not all of it can carry anything. This one can. Oh, the one from Decked. Yeah. I thought you were pointing me. at yourself. No, I'm not going to carry a squad Definitely don't you. carry the show. No, absolutely not. Oh. I barely put in any work. Decked.com. Thanks for nothing. No, thanks for everything. Nissan and Decked. Oh, no, I was talking to you, not <laughs> oh. the sponsors. All right, well, I accept. Dude, that was painful.